You're listening to For the Fighter in You. From 1980 to 2018, J-Rob changed millions of lives with his protein powders, nutrition products, fitness clubs, weekly TV segments, radio show, best-selling diet books, website, and sold-out seminars. After living in the San Diego area for most of his life, in 2018, J-Rob reset his life by moving his business and his family to North Palm Beach, Florida for a new chapter and a new adventure. He tells us about this, by the way, in his new rock song, The GOP, which we'll be talking about. He felt a new calling in South Florida, so he returned to his peace and love hippie roots of the 1960s and 1970s. He let his hair grow. He dusted off his teal headband, which is awesome. Uh, He's growing his sideburns long. He's writing, singing, producing rock albums. His latest album is aptly titled Hang Loose. His new mission in life is all about peace and love, teaching people how to hang loose in an uptight world today. J-Rob, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, glad to be here, (laughs) (laughs) Jay. We've known each other for a long, long time. It's in the decades, and uh, for a long time, I was East Coast Jay, and you were West Coast Jay. And then I went to Laguna Niguel and you came to Palm Beach. So we literally flipped and you became East Coast Jay and I became West Coast Jay. And now finally, after we've been flipping, going back and forth, we're both on the East Coast now. We're both Floridians. And so we're both East Coast. So we had to switch over to to the other Jay instead of East Coast Jay. Uh, But it was wild. It was confusing for a while thinking. Is Jay West Coast or East Coast right now? <laughs> Am I East Coast or West Coast right now? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm confused enough without that. Yeah, we're California boys that transplanted. It's amazing. I know. Our timing, our timing was pretty good, it turns out, to get yeah, out of California. No God bless them, but they're having some they're having a bumpy road right now. I think um, I think we got out at the right time. Not just clean air wise, not just no fire wise not just pollution wise or traffic wise, but tax wise. I mean, I love, I'm a Californian. I love California, even though I'm from Boston, I consider myself a Californian. Those are my people, but it's a, they're having a tough time right now. Oh, tough time. Yeah. Yeah. I came here for a variety of reasons. Uh, Like I said, my song, I was kicking and screaming, never got enough of that California dreaming because it's just home to me. I've been there forever. And I, you know, I felt like God pulled me to North Palm Beach. And when I got here, it was a culture shock. And I, I just, I couldn't quite get over that it wasn't like home. And, I, and it took me a while to transition, well over a year. That, that actually made me physically ill. I was so disappointed mm. from it. But I've adapted mm. and, and I feel blessed to be here. And, and God's blessed me while I'm here. And you're here. So now we're Florida boys. Florida boys, which is strange. I know you're originally a California guy. We'll touch upon all that, but let's start from the beginning. Um, you've lived so many divergent lives, Jay. It's hard to even know where to start with you. So I think the very intuitive thing to do would be start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your early life, where you were born, raised, your family life, etc. Yeah, I was originally born in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Grew up on the north edge of town. And uh, life is pretty simple. I grew up in an apartment house. Uh, just I had a great childhood because we could walk everywhere we needed to go. And 
Um, I just, I learned about the simplicity of life and that was back in the early 50s. So life is simple and different and better uh, in a lot of ways uh, because uh, we didn't have the technology, we didn't have the distractions, we didn't have the phones, we didn't have all the things that make things convenient, but they, uh, at the same time, we had the ability to connect and go outside. So I spent most of my childhood outside, loved to swim, loved to do things like that. I joined the swim team when I was uh, seven and that changed my life. That was the first life changer for me because I got into training and, and the fitness part of it. And, and we learned even about food back in those days. It was fall flawed, but, but I, you know, the things we could do, we tried the Rocky egg thing long before Rocky came out to see if that worked. That didn't work very well. We, believe it or not, we sugar cubes before an event. At, back then, we were thinking just to get more energy. We'd like lick jello out of a, of a box, you know, powdered jello. We would do weird things just to see if we could get an edge. And so I learned a lot from that and trained all the way up till I was like 15. And I uh, got a job and went to work and kind of set all those things aside. But I, I probably another turning point was when I was 13 and I got a weight set for Christmas in uh, 1966, I guess it was. And because uh, I wanted to be like, it was Bruce Randall's set. So I, I wanted to, he was Mr. America at the time and he had these humongous arms, just like monsters. And I, I said, whoa. And so he was curling the bar. So I said, oh, so if I curl the same bar, like <laughs> is, you know, I made the mental leap and I realized that's the illusion of bodybuilding and they're good at it. So yeah, that set me on the journey of bodybuilding and, and, and so on. But I really didn't, get into it real hard until you know in the early 70s uh, after after college and I, I was going through the whole hippie thing from 66 through 75 especially you know long hair kind of like I am now but about the same <laughs> now as I, how I ironic don't any, I don't feel any different I mean I go, hey. but <laughs> hey this is this was fun but anyway so I got into fitness long hair and all I just got into fitness got into bodybuilding got into it heavy and that was a huge turning point for me because I stopped partying quite so much and, um, you know, dedicated myself to training two hours a day, six days a week and eating like an animal. I mean, I tried to eat like Schwarzenegger. He was the king of bodybuilding back in those days. And um, that, that didn't take me as far as I wanted to go because I didn't realize they were all doing drugs, heavy duty steroids at the time. Um, that was for anybody who knew anything about it. So it was kind of underground underground thing so yeah i tried the drugs it kind of made me sick i said i'm going off of them and i kind of campaigned against them open up my i'll fast forward this but open my first fitness club in 1980 um jay's gym and then hosted the kind of some of the nation's first drug tested bodybuilding shows competed in them sponsored them invited people all over and just really tried to promote the drug-free movement uh, it was a kind of a futile there was a futility of it was that the interest was small compared to everybody wanted to do the juice back in those days. I think they probably still do now, but they just really, it was so new and they just said, wow, this is like the greatest thing since sliced bread. So let's shoot up. <laughs> and, and so I, I got, eventually I got tired of that and wanted something new. And that's when I sold the club and packed my stuff up and headed out uh, west to San Diego and lived there ever since. Uh, so I wanted to, if I could, um, explore that moment because, you know, Missouri, 
you know, it's not what you would normally think of, you know, as the fitness or the nutrition, you know, health uh, capital mecca of the states. Um, in fact, I think they come in either last or in the bottom five whenever they do those states for, you know, overall health. Uh, <laughs> Missouri, Mississippi, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Mississippi usually is number one for that. Alabama. Um, Missouri's right in there. So what do you think was the spark, you know, like you said, okay, the swim team and then getting the weight sets, but you know, the nutritional uh, leap, I guess is the one that I'm trying to bridge. Cause I get the weight set. I did the weight set as well. Um, you know, it, it was that, it was that uh, bodybuilder for you with the big arms for me. It was Sylvester Stallone that, you know, when I was 15, when Rocky came out, that was, I made that same exact leap you made when he leans Oh, on yeah. his pull-up bar with Adrian and his, his <laughs> monster python. That's what I want right there. Oh, I want that. And, you know, he's got the tank top on, and I'm like, all right, that's I'm in. And I went and got the 115-pound weight set at Kmart, you know, and, yeah. uh, and started hitting it, you know. So, but I never made the nutritional leap. I didn't know it was just not on my radar. Franklin, Massachusetts, probably similar to Missouri, you know, it was primarily Burger King, McDonald's and, you know, Pizza Hut. And, you know, and then for breakfast, it was Dunkin Donuts. If you're lucky, if not, it was, you know, Quisp and Captain Crunch. So I never had that. How did you make that nutritional? You're already trying to, you know, do eggs and stuff at such a young age. What was, you know, what was that spark? Well, I had a couple of things that sparked me. The I knew I wasn't... I may have been born in Kansas City, but it didn't feel home to me my whole childhood. Uh, I felt, I just felt the, the draw of California, at least someplace warm and tropical. And California seemed like it because television brought California and the tropics and palm trees to life for me. And I had, again, the, you know, Walt Disney, the, the, uh, uh, the Mickey Mouse Club back in those days when Annette Funicello and Cubby and all those guys were. And so I said, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want to live. That's what I want to do. I don't, I, this doesn't make sense to me. There's, there's snow sometimes here. And I thought that was weird because I like to be outside. So in my mind, I knew I like to be outside. I knew I like to be in water. So, and I put, started putting nutrition together at a young age, like age eight, because eight, I got sick one time. I think it was just before Christmas and uh, I had a, like a cold or, like a chest cold and I couldn't go outside and play. I hated that because I couldn't stand being inside. So I, I said, God, I, I did. I dropped my, I put my hands together. I said, God, I don't ever want to be sick again. Cause I knew it was almost Christmas and it was a festive time and here I was sick or whatever. I had, you know, I didn't, I just did not feel good. And I wanted to go outside. When I said, God, I said, I don't ever want to be sick again. Show me what I need to do to never be sick again and whatever that is, I will do it. And that was at age eight. So I became very aware and I started noticing that in, in all through the summer months when I was swimming and, you know, we tried to be, you know, sort of good. I mean, I, I, I was fortunate to be raised in a household where my dad did not let us eat a lot of junk. We ate three meals a day. You know, we had to curtail the amount of Cokes. I, I like little Cokes. That was what I drank. That was one of my treats. <laughs> uh, I think a big gulp. 
I got a little bitty Coke as a treat every, and then the weekends we could walk downtown and get whatever. The bottles were smaller. If you look at the old fashioned Coke bottles, six and a, six and a quarter ounces was a Coke I drank in a bottle. Those are my favorite. In the freezer, get them ice cold. They freeze your throat. I go, yeah, this is where it's at. So we we were lucky that my dad, you know, made us eat a balanced meal every meal three times a day, and he didn't like junk. And if we got into junk, he'd yell at us because we wouldn't be hungry for uh, our dinner. And that was important because we all ate together. So I got a good foundation from that. I was, I, I kind of started putting that together with never getting sick all the time. And I noticed, well, I, I would get a cold or something every winter. And I realized I wasn't outside as much and so on because I was, at the time I was in Kansas City and it gets cold in the winter there. So I put that together. And, uh, but the turning point for me, Jay, was in 1978, I had been heavily involved in bodybuilding. I was training hard, two hours a day, six days a week, and just and pounding food down. I, I tried to follow, you know, as Arnold said to do, Arnold said to do. I would, you know, Franco Colombo, if he had some tips, I, would, I was all in. So I was trying to eat like these guys did, and I don't think they actually ate that way, what they were telling me. But it sounded good because I was a lot of calories. So I was probably pounding 5,000 calories a day. Uh, and training two hours a day, six days a week. So I'm eating all this food. After three years of that, one day I'm at the gym and I'm getting ready to do the incline bench press. So I laid back, grabbed the bar, and just started, you know, I had like 135 pounds, you know, 245s on each side. And I started, started to do my just warm up reps. And I got on the rep three and all of a sudden I just like felt like all the energy left my body and just like I deflated. And the bar just came down and and I couldn't get it off. And two guys had to pull it off me, and, and I just felt dizzy and, and just totally disoriented. I said, I don't know what's going on. They said, you okay? And I said, I don't think so. So I just grabbed my gym bag and headed home. And I don't even remember driving home. It was that intense. So I got home, got in the house, opened the door, shut the door, got in, and I started feeling dizzy again. And all of a sudden, I just kind of buckled, my legs buckled, and I fell back. And I was on my back looking up at the ceiling. I'll never forget that just staring at the ceiling, looking up and it was just spinning and I couldn't make it stop. And I didn't know what was going on. I never felt like this before in my entire life. Here I am a 190 pound bodybuilder and laying on the floor and just feeling helpless. And I didn't know what was going on. And so, you know, I, I, I started tearing up. I was just, it was, it, it scared me. Like, what is this? And so I, so I said a prayer, I said, God, I don't know what this is, and make it stop. And I said, and if you make it stop and, and I regain my health or whatever has happened here, I will spend the rest of my life, this is my bargain, and this is a true story. I will spend the rest of my life teaching people whatever you reveal to me, whatever that is. I will teach that to people. So I knew at that point, uh, well, I should say, the, the room, after I said that, the room stopped spinning, and I knew at that point I had been heard, and I was a, now a man on a mission. And I had my purpose in life was set forth that I was to connect with people through health and nutrition, fitness, bodybuilding, and so on. And uh, I was able to sit up and get back on my feet, but I, with a couple of days, uh, and so I was fine from that moment. Oh, I, but I felt beat to hell. I mean, I felt like somebody just pummeled me. I felt like I took three on the head after, you know, dropping into a 15 foot wave and losing it. That's what I felt. I just felt like I just got ragdolled. For, from then on, I just did not have the same energy, the, the same feeling that I had before. I was just unstoppable, and I just felt beat up. 
So I went to a nutritionist before, oops, sorry about that. I went to a nutritionist, uh, excuse me, he was an, an osteopathic doctor. So he was a regular medical professional or regular doctor, but he was specialized in nutrition. And it was unusual, and this was in Kansas City. And so he examined me and wow, you know, because I was, I was big, fit, and muscular and so on, but <laughs> my blood pressure was up. You know, I was like 25. My blood pressure was up. Yeah, my liver enzymes are of all these different things. And, and I think I'd actually come off of, I tried a round of steroids six months before that or something like that. I've never done that before either. So I have a feeling that kind of set the stage for me to push myself too far and over the edge. So he says, well, you know, you got this, you know, you're toxic. So we put me on a seven day fruit and vegetable fast or cleanse, I should say, not fast. All, I could eat all I wanted, which is fine. I said, well, I can hang with that. And so I ate only fruits and vegetables, period, nothing else. No nuts, no seeds, you know, dairy, eggs, nothing. Just, it had to be a fruit or a vegetable. And I could not, and, and he told me, and don't eat citrus fruits because of the acid for right now. I said, okay. So I did that for seven days. First day, I felt kind of like awful. Second day, I felt a little better. Third day, all of a sudden, I just felt good. And from then on, I felt fantastic. By the end of seven days, I was a new man. I felt like I just was took off 10 years of my life and I was only 25. Nothing, I did not, I felt just completely turned around. And it was only because I ate fruits and vegetables. And he says, now just add back in food slowly and see what happens. And so that's what I did. So I was very aware of nutrition from then on. And I knew fruits and vegetables had to be the way, no matter what diet I taught, they had to be a part of it. And when I grew up, that was kind of how we grew up also. You had to have, if we ate, if you, we didn't most, I had to like uh, eat a hunk of meat for dinner. It was always, you always had a, you know, a, a vegetable, a starch or whatever it was, some kind of vegetable and fruit was dessert. Or even if we had a pie, it was a fruit pie or something. So uh, I had a good enough foundation. He taught me that. I realized that was what was going on. And so I opened up my first fitness club in 1980 with that information and that knowledge. And I was teaching that to bodybuilders to pay attention or you're going to get toxic or sick and, and a lot of bodybuilders have died over the years and part of it i think it's steroids and part of it is a nutritional problem too or at least a combination perhaps and, and, and we're talking quite a few and it just goes unreported so i didn't want to be another statistic <laughs> so, it sounds to me like then, um you were not getting enough your body was not getting enough opportunity to clean out the sludge but there's the constant, you know, 5,000 calories, you know, a day. Yeah, a, thousand, a thousand calories a meal five times a day in general is what it was. I and mean, it, where's the autophagy? Where's the uh, fasting? Where is the, you know, like the brain, the brain needs to sweep out every night. It's got to sweep up, you know, the broken, as you know, the broken mitochondria and DNA and all those wacky cells. Um, yeah. And But so now we know what that spark moment was that made such a fervent dedication because your dedication as we will start outlining has led you to do some amazing remarkable things just your, your passion for that initial commitment that you made i mean you've dedicated your life non-stop to it um and what's beautiful too is you know you're a wealth of information you're an encyclopedic wealth of information and yet you're always still the student which uh, lets me know that you're spiritually advanced as well because anyone who is humble and and can uh be the student even though their cup 
your cup is 80 or 90 percent full because you've lived a big full life you still are trying to fill up that 10 percent with more knowledge at wherever you go and uh, that's very refreshing you know for someone at your level who's done what you've done uh to still be curious just for the record though other jay the, (laughs) the real superstar the one that my headband goes off to is you because i don't hold a candle to you and your knowledge and and the depth and width that you have gone into in the health and nutrition world and the things you've done i mean i'm just amazed i'm thinking i, I feel like a newborn child i, I think of course I, i've learned a lot over the years one day i'm thinking that and then i talked to you and i realized i'm just this like punk kid and, and i <laughs> you know obi-wan kenobi and, and so I, I almost turned to you for the wellspring like okay so i can't get this what do you think is going on Well, I appreciate the kind words. I appreciate the kind words, brother, but I'm, I haven't, not only have I not written multiple books like you, which we'll go into in a little bit, multiple books. I've not written one book on nutrition and you've written bestsellers. So you don't have to, you're a walking encyclopedia. I call you Google. (laughs) That's very kind. I hope that I hope someday I will learn as much as you, your little pinky knows. As much as you, little pinky. you got more information in your little pinky than I've got in my whole body. I don't know about that one. That's kind words. I do appreciate You're very it. kind. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm very humble to you. Well, you're, you're uh, it sounds like the doctor who was wise enough when he sees a 190 pound strapping guy who's very muscular. 99% of doctors are going to say, this guy's in great shape. And they'll give you a drug and say, you know, call me in the morning type of thing, especially back then, especially back then. It'd be like, it's all in your head or you're fine. It was just an episode. But this particular doctor knew, it sounds to me like to alkalize your blood with fruit and vegetables. He wanted you to stop the acid and stop, you know, stop the too, too many, you know, too much eating, frankly. Um, yeah, well, and just, did he just become a mentor? Did he was was or I should say he or she? Did they become a mentor? Um, it, to a degree at first, yes. Um, but after a while, I felt like I advanced beyond that because I felt they were kind of confined and locked into certain things. I was willing to go into as far and as deep as I needed to. Uh, I didn't care how far out it sounded, whether it was raw foods for a year or anything like that and, and just to clarify here just for the, the viewers and listeners I, I wasn't alkalizing my blood and he wasn't looking to that because the blood always stays in an alkaline state between 7.35 ph to 7.45 it never varies out of that range it's pretty tight range because you can regulate your blood's um, ph very easily by breathing your breathing patterns uh, can pull acid right out of your blood. It's carbonic acid or carbon dioxide. It's what you pull out. So when you respire, normally you respire six times a minute under normal non-exertion conditions. So that means every 10 seconds an in and out breath happens. And that's a normal respiring or respiration uh, ratio or timing. So if you did that more than that, you're blood would become too alkaline and that's when people hyperventilate or, or feel that way and that's where that's like the prerequisite for a panic attack uh, because their their 
just breathing too frequently and it chokes off the brain because that actually, when, when you remove that much carbon dioxide from your bloodstream, it restricts or it constricts the blood flow. So that, and then your brain doesn't think anymore because it's now restricted of oxygen and, <laughs> and nutrients and blood sugar. So that these things happen. So I wasn't doing that. What, what was going on was my lymphatic system, which is, it runs underneath the, the skin, all of your body is your lymphatic system or the lymph, uh, lymph fluids. And then the interstitial fluids are, those are what uh, bathe all your cells. So you have a cell and then around that cell is a fluid. And that fluid then also kind of goes out and that eventually goes into the lymph system and so on. So you have an interstitial fluid, interstitial fluid, interstitial fluid, and all these things. So it's, you're, you're bathing a cell in a, in a pH-based fluid. So that interstitial fluid needs to be alkaline or at least go back to alkaline, at least can try homeostasis to get to back to alkaline because your cells, every time they eat and poop, eat and poop, that's all your cells do. They can't go to the bathroom. They can't go run off somewhere and go flush the toilet. They're just sitting there and they poop and it just goes right off into the fluids. If your body's not carrying that away into other fluids, into your lymph, into your lymph nodes, and then eventually your kidneys, acid never leaves. So to clarify on that, when I hit, you know, when I hit the wall, it was just imagine I was in a systemic acidosis place. Why? Because I was training. I was actually overtraining. I couldn't recover from the, uh, the intensity I was training. I wanted it so bad. I was training for Mr. Universe at the time. I wanted it so bad. I, I was unstoppable because my, I have a, that type of a drive that's insane. Yeah, and I think you can relate other day because, hey, <laughs> you, you like me you can drive through anything you don't care so I just you know I just drive right through it so I was creating so much acid waste just from training hard then you combine that with acid-based foods meat vegetables uh, or not vegetables beef meat uh, eggs and cheese anything like that those have very few alkaline minerals not very many fruits or vegetables on this whole program and the next thing I know I'm internally acid acid base. Couple that with perhaps at the time also I might have had a small uh, bit of a SIBO or small intestinal bacteria overgrowth or fungal overgrowth which would be SIFO or, or FABO there's three type. Um, one of those are so that creates systemic acidosis on its own. Why? Because when bacteria or fungus uh, or a virus or even cancer when they consume fuel they poop out acidic waste. We breathe out acid waste. All these things are acid, so alkalinity has to come in and the pH has to balance it somehow, which is why I think America is preoccupied with salt. And salt has become an absolute um, mandatory food, or excuse me, uh, almost a supplemented uh, substance because if people didn't use as much salt as they do, they would have so much internal acid, they would, they would ache more than they do because acid burns, acid stiffens, acid hardens, acid does all these things. So if you have fluids that are acidic, they literally make you hurt eventually. And that's why I think you get into fibromyalgia, you get into all lower back stiffness, joint pain, stiffness, of, of the bending, neck pain, all these things are acid. Acid waste that is not getting out through your kidneys and flushed away frequently enough. And, and we're talking, if, if it, like, like, a, like baseline is 
there's seven on the pH scale. Higher than that is alkaline and lower than that is acidic. So if you get down to 6.5, 6.4, you're starting to get pretty acidic internally and you feel it. And I think when people get older, the aches and pains they feel, aren't, they always say, oh, you can tell I'm getting older. Well, that makes no sense to me. Why would you feel an ache or a pain at, at this age instead of this age? It has to be because your body's not getting the acid waste, toxic waste out. It's not your blood. Your blood, remember, your blood's always pretty clean and always, always in the alkaline range. It's the lymphatic fluids that really suffer, the interstitial fluids and your kidneys that are working overtime to get that acid waste out. And that's where I was. I was burning up. Let me see if I'm hearing you correctly. And, and I threw um, a lot at you. <laughs> that's it's really good. Really, really good material. And we, we know you're the protein expert. We'll talk about protein itself and break that all down. And of course, your business, your protein business. But you've really been specializing um, in, you know, the prevention of these infection, infection types of diseases, all types of diseases you study, but like viral infections, bacterial infections, fungal infections have been something that, that uh, you've been studying. And, and I, I know that's near and dear to your heart. It's near and dear to my heart as well. That's been one of my big challenges. You were the one who actually taught me about and even put on my radar screen the SIBO, S-I-B-O, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and SIFO, S-I-F-O, small intestinal fungal overgrowth. I didn't even know these two things existed. Can you just drill down on exactly what that is in, in, in the intestine uh, and what it is and why it's so destructive to the body? Well, sure. I love this. Every I did it. Uh, oh, gosh, probably five straight years of research on that because I had developed an internal um, fungal overgrowth in my small intestine. So that would be SIFO, uh, small intestinal fungus overgrowth. I coined the word FABO, meaning fungus and bacterial overgrowth, meaning sometimes you have both. So it's SIBO, SIFO, and FABO. What that means is you have uh, two sections of the intestines, uh, your alimentary canal. So when you, eat, you swallow, it goes to your stomach and moves on out. Eventually, it gets to the small intestine. There's 21 feet, a 21-foot tube that is where most of the food finishes digesting and is absorbed. That's the small intestine. So 21 feet of that, they have villi inside. And so there's an absorption that takes place all through that. So you have 21 feet of, to absorb the nutrients that your body has broken down. So if, if I eat an apple and I chew it, and break it down into smaller particles and it gets into my stomach and then that that purifies it with uh, with uh, hydrochloric acid and then it moves out of there fairly quickly and then it, enzymes start acting on it which apples digest are pretty simple but it still has to try to break down the pectin the fiber and all these different things and different carbohydrates but then your body it starts absorbing that and it'll absorb the fructose it'll absorb the sucrose and it'll absorb uh, or the glucose excuse me and then that goes to the to the actual cells or it's transported out through your bloodstream and, and it goes to that process. So um, by simply consuming foods, it goes to the small intestine. They now then, it, that's where the absorption takes place and that's how the food goes out. If it goes through your small intestine, which is no problem in general, all the absorption takes place. There is residue at the end and that's usually the fibers and things like that. Uh, of vegetables, cabbage, uh, whole grains, and so on. Not necessarily meat or eggs. There's almost no fiber there. 
but if you're eating fruits or vegetables or whole grains, there's uh, residues and resistant starch, which means starches that didn't quite digest and absorb. Those then get eventually pushed down into the, the colon, which is a five foot tube that's bigger around. And that's where the final processing takes place. That final processing is important uh, because there's certain nutrients you get out of that, but not as much as obviously the small intestine, but it's an important part because that's where the final processing done. And then from there, it can be expelled in what I call supposedly, it's supposed to be a perfect poop. I call it perfect poop, meaning it slips from the body easily. There's no odor and there's no need for toilet paper. You can do a check wipe, which is fine, but you'll see that it's clean. Why? Because that was called a perfect poop. It came just like any other uh, creature on the earth. They don't have toilet paper. Why do we? So it should slip through and it should go out easily. When you notice it doesn't, there's a problem. Now, how does this simple process, if you eat, it goes to your small intestine, and then after that, it gets pushed into the colon, final processing, and out of the body. How does that get disrupted or create small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? Well, it can happen two ways. First way is by consuming, or, or excuse me, consuming foods too often and not giving your small intestine enough time to rest. So if you're always eating like I was in bodybuilding back in the early 70s and so on, then um, it's called a wave cleanse. The, the small intestine is like a snake and it will go and it sounds like your tummy's growling, but it's actually the tummy and small intestine pushing debris through this tube. That means it's pushing it into the small or into the large intestine. If you don't allow time for your system to do the wave cleanse, meaning if you don't eat for a certain period of time, it will not wave cleanse. And so it doesn't clean itself. So debris stays in there. Okay, so if that's the case, it's sluggish and it stays in there. I theorize that in that process, there's an ileocecal valve between the small intestine and your colon where they connect. And if that valve doesn't quite get closed because things don't really get wave cleansed and pushed in there good enough, then bacteria from your colon sneak through they jump over the fence and they start running for new territory. They're looking for a new place to live. They don't belong up here. And it's not so bad if a few get up there, but when a lot starts coming in, these guys start taking over. So let's say at the bottom of 21 feet, you've got five inches or let's say six inches that get infected, half a foot. It gets infected uh, in, one, in one year. Well, that's six inches of the bottom of your small intestine. You probably never noticed that. But imagine if that happened every year. In 10 years, you'd have five feet of your small intestine or a quarter of it infected with bacteria or fungus, depending on which ones got up there. And I'll explain that a little bit more because fungus, there's a different factor and that comes in with antibiotics that causes a fungal problem. Bacteria is one thing. Uh, my wife has experienced that. I experienced the fungal part of it. She experienced the bacterial part of it. So as they sneak up there, they take over and then they get five feet in there. Guess what they feed on? Carbohydrate, any type of carbohydrate. They'll feed on any type of fibers, uh, any type of sugars or anything. So let's just say you're eating something that doesn't quite completely digest and, and it's being absorbed and it gets through like three quarters of your small intestine and it hits the last bottom quarter. All of a sudden they go, wow, dinner time, because that they feed on all this food. And this is like, they're at the front of the buffet line right here. They're, they're not getting debris in the colon like they're normally getting. They're not getting leftover junk, little pieces and stuff. They're getting a full meal. 
So they just load up. And what happens then? The more that they load up, the farther they can push up because now they're troops and now they can push into, into new regions. Another 10 years go by. Guess what? Now they're halfway up your small intestine. Halfway. That's, that's out of 20 feet, 10 feet up. And they're just happy. So now it's like you've got a colon that's 15 feet long and a small intestine that's 10 feet long. That's not a good ratio to have because unless you can get everything to absorb in the top, in the top portion, they're going to just go wild on the food. So if you took antibiotics, and this is what a lot of people say to do, or a lot of uh, MDs, or this is the protocol, take um, uh, antibiotic because these are bacteria that are misplaced and they're in the small intestine. And if you take an antibiotic, it will kill them. So then why would you do that? Because when you have SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you're bloated. You see beer bellies, that's common for, for SIBO or either FABO too, but, or SIFO. Or, or Bloating just means they produce, you produce excess gas. If the gas is, is from bacteria, it become, it's a methane gas. Methane gas backs up or makes your intestines work backwards. This is pretty interesting how this works. So I know that I'm getting into a lot of deep stuff, but just, just listen clearly on this one because it's really good stuff. When methane is produced in the small intestine, it makes your peristaltic action go in reverse, meaning instead of food going down, it goes up. Why people belch? Why people have heartburn? Why do they have all these things? You have a reversal of peristaltic action, meaning the snake is now going upward instead of downward. So now your tummy's ground, but it's pushing things back up and eventually it will hit your esophagus and burn. Why? Because you're back into the acid realm. Acids are produced by bacteria in your small intestine if they're feeding on sugar stuff. And that, now, now let's put this all into real context for the real world. There's nothing wrong with bacteria. There's nothing wrong with fungus. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. You're, everybody's there. They just are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you've allowed that by doing something unnatural, which is in my case, it was a, I was a fool force feeding to get huge as I was thinking back in those days. So I was doing an ego trip. Ego trips always get in trouble because I was, I was on an ego bodybuilding, trust me, I was on a bodybuilding ego trip back then. And I would do anything, you know, well, I don't care what it does to me, you know, that type of thing. So by doing these things, you, you can't break the law of mother nature. Mother nature will always spank your butt every time. So by doing that, the bacteria gets in there. Once bacteria start producing that much acid, then it's, it starts absorbing in your system. We got to do something with this. So it tries to absorb it. So what it happens then is pulled back into where? The lymphatic system and the interstitial fluids, which creates systemic acidosis, which leads to fibromyalgia, which leads to aches, which leads to pain, which leads to stiffness, the joints, the arthritis, anything else that starts breaking down your system because that's what acid does. It burns you up from the inside. So if it's bacteria, it goes backwards. Now here's the other kicker. If you have fungal overgrowth, meaning if you took antibiotics like I did as a kid, or I should say when I was in high school partying and I, was, uh, I worked at a pizza place so I could drink beer like there was no, no tomorrow after hours and just, I had a blast. But every now and then I got sick, so I took an antibiotic. But I paid the price after that because it destroyed the bacteria in my colon. So I had friendly bacteria in the colon that were now gone, gone, non almost. So what happens? Fungus takes over because, back, because antibiotics don't touch what? 
fungus. They do not do anything to fungus. They only annihilate bacteria. And what's bacteria? Bacteria is the antagonist. It's the check and balance to fungus. You should have like 5% fungus and 95% bacteria. Let's just say that's the ratio. So now that reverses. So now you have this fungus. Then you get fungus that goes up into your small intestine. Now you end up with small intestinal fungal overgrowth. And you don't know it. Every time you have something that's carbohydrate-based and it reaches the mouths of the hungry fungus, the fungus feed on it. They're different though. They speed up the activity. Why? Because they produce hydrogen instead of methane. So that's a different gas. That gas makes everything go in kind of fast motion, you know? So everything starts moving through the, the colon faster or the small intestine in the colon faster. It's pushing things out quicker. That's where people get into, why do I have loose bowels? Why do I go to the bathroom all the time? Why can't, why, why do I poop so many times? And why is it watery? And why do I have sometimes that's diarrhea? And it just, it's a, it's a fungal overgrowth that's feeding on so much carbohydrate that it just starts shooting it out of your body, depending on how much you eat and how, and how much carbohydrate. So now you get into a problem. And the problem is, again, systemic acidosis. Fungus does the same thing. When they feed, they produce acid. When the acid is produced, it what? Systemic acidosis. Systemic acidosis make you ill. And, and it's, it's a chronic illness. It wears you down. That's why I get chronic fatigue. Chronic fatigue, in my opinion, just systemic acidosis. Your body doesn't have a time to rest. doesn't have a time to relax. Because the alkalinity makes people relax. So you think, well, the answer would be what? Because I that was what I had to ponder for five straight years. And actually, it's been about seven now. What? would now fix that. That's, I don't care. I, I like to know what happened, but I say, now how do I fix it? What, why did it happen? What can I do now to either reverse it or allow the body to reverse it? Very, very important to know. So I had to figure, because I had I had this problem myself. I had the fungus, my wife had the bacteria. And we had to say, well, what do we do? So we try, you know, colloidal silver. We try all these different things. I knew we couldn't do you know, uh, antibiotics or anything like that. So. Um, the antifungals can help if it's a fungus, uh, but it's still not the answer because then they eventually go to the colon. And, but, but it's a little, a little easier with the fungus. So it, it comes up that the ideal way to rid this problem is to simply not eat very much, or excuse me, not eat very often and not eat very much for a while either. So if you will skip, so they changed the terminology on it years ago. It was, well, I'm going to skip breakfast now. It's intermittent fasting. Instead of, I guess it sounds cooler. So instead of skipping breakfast and having, you know, just your two meals a day or whatever it's going to be, it, now it's intermittent fasting. So you just basically, and like I used to say 20 years ago or something, just don't eat for that period of time and then eat at, the, at this, this window. Why does that work? Because when you don't eat, your body cleans house. And by cleaning house, yes, the cells will dump and different things like that every day. But what I'm talking about in this case, cleaning house means your small intestine will now growl a lot at you and your tummy and all that and push down the tube all the way through the colon day after day after day, the, the misplaced fungus or bacteria. And I had, in my case, the fungus, uh, because I would do uh, fruit only experiments and the fungus would feed on that because I didn't know what was going on. And then eventually it was fine if it was just the fruit and stuff, but if I started mixing foods in and in different ways and, and so on, it actually would back up and go clear up and coat my tongue white. So when I looked in the mirror, I look at my tongue, I'm like, my tongue white. And that was fungus backing all the way up 
into into straight out of my small intestine all the way up through, which is pretty heavy duty. <laughs> that means it's going through the stomach and everything, which is this is a challenge. <laughs> so that's where it is. And and fungus can go systemic. It means it can leave the small go through the small intestine uh, walls and, and go out because you can actually perforate holes and things like that, like the leaky gut. So that's it. So not eating was the first step. What a lot of people and I tried this is to just cut carbs out because then it ends the bloating because gas and bloating because if you have hydrogen you're going to expel a lot of gas if you have methane which is the bacterial growth in general then you're going to have just just bloating and the gas has nowhere to go until it's finally absorbed and it may take a day or more so that's why the beer belly look or the I'm pregnant look comes about and you see that frequently so if uh if you don't eat any carbs, you think, well, that's perfect because the bloating goes down and they die off and you go, oh, we're healed. Keto has to be it. There's a catch-22 to that. And I think you know that too, other day, is that the bacteria in the colon don't get fed either. And they need to be fed. They're, they're for a higher fiber intake. They're waiting for that fiber. They need that fiber. They, you need a lot of fiber to feed and, and, and resistant starch. Resistant starch just means you've eaten a starch that didn't fully absorb. It's, it's a type of starch. And uh, that makes it to the colon. That's, that's a common food for the small intestinal, uh, or excuse me, the, the large intestine bacteria. So they need that. So keto works great. And then all of a sudden you realize, why am I not pooping? And why, uh, why am I having a bowel movement every other day? And what is that smell? And then you realize something's wrong. And uh, you, I thought meat was it and, and so on. And, and yet, if you're into it, you're, you know, you like you and me, I know you're that way. So you can't deny this. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're going to go in there and go, no, it, the, the, it's working fine for me. <laughs> and just, and just forget this is happening. And you know, it's going to work. It's going to work. Cause that's how I think. No, no, it's going to work. It's fine. This is just a phase or I'm just going through this. And I, I just poop every three days. It's okay. <laughs> and, oh so, yeah. I would go through that and I realized there's something wrong. So the answer had to be something different. So the answer, again, going back to it, it's not antibiotics. You can't do antifungals if it's fungus. That's fine. I don't have any problem with that because that's just like a parasite. But infrequent eating, so your tummy growls every day is, is number one. And number two is for a period of time, just eat carbohydrate that absorb quicker, like a simpler, simpler digestive carbohydrate to get the nutrition one until you get the, the the bacteria or the fungus pushed out and away. Then over time, as you increase your fruit and vegetable, this is how this is how I laid this out. If you increase your fruit and vegetable intake, get this: the, the bacteria hate an alkaline environment, and so does fungus. They cannot live in a in, in a uh, in an alkaline environment. They want an acid environment. They want the colon. The colon is an acid environment because it's dark. It's moist and it's acidic. Small intestine is supposed to be alkaline and light and airy and happy. <laughs> so, so they don't like that. So if you then start pouring on fruits and vegetables, even though they're fibrous or anything like that, you have an alkalinity that hits these guys. So the bacteria goes, whoa, well, this isn't an acidic, no longer an acidic environment because fruits and vegetables are alkalizing the whole small intestine and they, they can't proliferate. There's no more breeding. There's no more, you know, division. We're, we're just gonna have to wither up or run for the hills and head back down south, you know? We're, we can't go north anymore, gotta go back. So that's what happens and it's the alkalinity, why? 
they and it just keeps pushing them back. They can't thrive. So then, because of the fruits and vegetables, you alkalize your your interstitial fluids and your lymphatic fluids. Once those are alkalized, they have nowhere to run. Even if they're escaping through your small intestine, let's get out of here. They're going to go into another medium and just wither and die. Why? They can't thrive. They cannot live in that environment. So that's why it's so important to have an alkaline diet and an alkaline um, uh, fluid system. Your blood will always be that way. So you don't have to think about it, but just think of your, your, your uh, lymphatic system and uh, also uh, how your kidneys flush things out and your interstitial fluids. That's the key. Always getting the ass out, making sure you're peeing a lot. And it's not about drinking water all the time. People are like, oh yeah, I can get it out with drinking water. Water's fine, but water does not alkalize the system. It has almost no pH that's, that's favorable to, and some water's not even pH, uh, you know, alkaline. You get alkaline water, and that's not even enough to do much. You need literally full bore minerals, sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium, and volume. Where do you get those? Fruits and vegetables. Melons, huge. Any fruit or vegetable, huge. Spinach, very high in, in potassium. Extremely high. And the potassium, remember, has to get into the cell. So if you got a cell, potassium's floating around out here, it's gonna go in the cell. Three, three sodium ions come out, two potassium go in. That's the sodium potassium pump. If that, if you don't have the potassium, guess what's going in? It's more salt, because you, you've got to compromise something. Something has to keep it alkaline. And that's why people's batteries start, they start dimming down. Once they start dimming down, why? Because they don't have the potassium to light up the batteries. That's the secret. And those are all alkaline. Where do you get those? Greens, but all fruits and vegetables, especially fruit, very, very high in potassium. So you start cutting fruits out, you cut your potassium out. It's a whole different effect if you're going keto than it is when you go fruit and vegetable based. And I'm not talking about being vegan. I'm not. Um, or vegetarian. I'm not. I'm talking about high fruit and vegetable intake and not uh, putting a stamp on your forehead that says, I'm this, I'm that. I'm this, I don't like that. I don't like labels. Don't be labeling yourself then you're stuck. Leave yourself open. I just eat a high fruit and vegetable diet and include meat if you want. Don't include it if you don't want. Eat eggs if you want. Don't eat eggs. Don't have dairy if you want. Don't eat dairy. Find out what works for you, but if fruits and vegetables are your base foundation, if you've got the platform, everything works. Everything. And if you don't have that, you're always going to try to find what it is and what's causing this and uh, why am I pooping right and so on. The, the, the secret, when you, when you hit it right, a perfect poop, as I call it, that requires, again, no, no toilet paper to clean up after a check wipe, um, slips out easy, no order, any of those things, and, and you have them frequently, like three, three or more a day. That's what you're looking for, and that's when you know, no matter what you're eating with the fruits and vegetables, is that you're right on. Because even the, the longest-lived societies, like the, the Blue Zone, Blue Zone uh, societies all over the, all over the globe, the top five, or probably the top 10 too, but the top five, they're not veg vegans or vegetarians. One of them is vegetarian, but not by nature. They're by um, spiritual base. Um, but the number one uh, longest lived people are Okinawans, and they eat like 70% of their diet is sweet potatoes. So that's a very high carbohydrate based diet. And then you have other things for them, but they're not vegan. None of, none of the societies are vegan. Um, Price Pottinger, when they traveled the globe, they never found a vegan society anywhere on the, on the entire planet, wherever they went. And I'm not saying don't be a vegan. That's not my point here. My point is that 
we ha we don't see that very much because I think for uh, for some reason getting B12 and other things we need to consume a certain amount of animal foods whether it's eggs, uh, dairy, or small amounts of fish or, or meat from time to time. Most societies do it only as a con uh, like a condiment or a special occasion once a week, and that's that seems normal to me because you kind of have to if you're listening to your body it's it's you know it seems natural. And, and again, I know I threw a lot lot at you and viewers and everybody else, but it's it's important to know the alkalinity and what it does. Because a lot of people don't explain this well. They always think, oh, your blood, or this, that. that's not true at all. It's, it yeah, has that's a, I'm glad you that. made that distinction, Jay, because it can get confusing. I know I was confused when you said, um, you know, when you were 190 pounds and eating all that food and eating all that food and the acid knocked you out. Earlier, you had said that the body's going to keep you at a certain alkalinity no matter what it's going to keep you within a certain range within for a the certain blood, range yeah. for the blood okay that's the distinction then that's the yeah, distinction. it never goes out of balance the blood so the blood no, if, but, it, if it did you die you die if it goes out okay but there was but you got knocked out by acid so that must have been something else and that you would mention the interstitial fluid can you tell us what that is it's just a fluid that uh, floats around that your cells float in so your body has like one third of your fluids is blood. Uh, let's just say uh, one third is lymphatic uh, fluids, which mean it's, it's, like a, it's like a bloodstream or a sewer system that goes right under your skin. So it's just below the skin and it goes all over your body. So if you, if you take your arm and massage it back like this, they, people do mas lymph massages, then that goes, that, that moves your lymph. It's just a, it's a it's kind of a viscous fluid backwards. And the only way your lymph system moves is by motion. So your blood moves by your heart. Only one muscle generally moves all the blood through your body and that's your heart beating, boom, boom. That's the pump. But your limb system, you have to move. So if you're just laying around on a couch or sitting there like you and I are talking now, we don't have, we don't have much lymphatic fluid motion. So it sits until we can move. When we move, it flushes it. So it's a pump that moves it around. It's connected to the interstitial fluid, which was your question. Interstitial fluid is just the fluid that surrounds the cell. So the, the fluid around the cell is interstitial. Outside of that is a lymph fluid. And the lymph fluid then flows through uh, four, 500, 600 lymph nodes, depending on the person and their size, to go through that have little, they, they are like purification stations, so to speak. They purify in various ways. And so you're always purifying your lymph through the lymph nodes. That's why when people would get or some kind of a throat problem or whatever, their lymph nodes swell up. And that's why the doctors are like, you know, it's I have a sore throat. And they always go like this. They're just feeling you know, how big your lymph nodes are on your neck. Because once your lymph backs up, the lymph nodes swell. And you got a bunch of them. So when they swell up, that means you're extremely toxic. And I found as a kid that I, I believe cheese would probably back my lymph system up quickly, simply because of the fat content of it and, and the saturated fat in it. Why is that? It's not, I don't, I, again, I'm not going to label food as good or bad. That's not my point here, but excess of something that's fatty. You're, when your body consumes fat, it goes to the lymph system before you, you absorb it. That's something people probably don't know. So if you're not eating the fat, you just had a banana or an apple. You don't have anything going into your lymph, but if you're eating a, a block of cheese or you know ounce of cheese or something that goes to your lymph system first which can congest it 
if you have a lot of other toxic waste there. If you didn't have a lot of toxic waste and you're an athlete or you're running, you probably will do nothing because your body can rid it quickly. The, the, the problem comes up when people overdo the fatties and underdo motion. And that becomes common because fat doesn't, fat at that capacity, unless you're ketogenic or something, is not energizing at all. And so it makes you want to slow down. It makes you want to stop. It, it actually almost chokes the oxygen out of your bloodstream unless you're keto adapted. So that's what's going on with a lot of people. And that's why you gotta be very careful with fat. And unless you, unless you wanna dedicate yourself to being ketogenic, which I don't suggest, but I honor anybody who does. I have friends that do it, they'd be great. But if, if you're going down that road, that's one thing. But if you're not, that fat isn't gonna be your friend. So don't overdo it, especially the, the cheeses, the, the saturated fats. They're a little harder and a little heavier on the body and the lymph system than the lighter oils, like olive oil, things like that. Yeah, it's fascinating to me that if you can get over into uh, using the ketones as an energy source, it becomes a super positive for you in that the, it burns really cleanly. I liken it to, uh, you know, like you can put a big pile of papers on the floor and light those up and they'll give you a really big flame for a short amount of time and then you'll have a lot of soot. Whereas if you took a candle, it might not give you as big a flame, but it's going to give you a good size flame and it's going to last 10 times longer and it's going to leave hardly any soot. But the key is, so that's, you know, the, that's just my little metaphor for ketones versus glucose. However, you said something so important there. And I, I am, this is what I'm really screwing up at. Almost getting to ketosis. If you spent six months trying to become metabolically flexible like I have, but you never get over there, then yeah. I am doing the worst of both worlds because I'm doing fat all morning and all afternoon. And then at night, I can't take the, the keto flu and I end up eating fruit to just take the keto flu away. Now I'm doing <laughs> sugar and fat. Now I get the synergic, synergistic negative of sugar and fat, which works synergistically together to be dangerous. You know, you oh, better yeah. be, you better be sugar or you better be fat, but trying to dance in the two worlds is, can be dangerous. If, am I, yeah. Is that a correct assessment? It is. And it isn't quite because what I've noticed is if you choose plant-based fats, they, they go well with fruits and vegetables. And if you want to get into some animal fats from time to time, I think it's okay because I, the body has the ability to burn fat and make ketones, whether you're in, whether you're full ketogenic or not. If you just don't eat for a period of time, like when I was saying to skip breakfast sometime, you're actually burning fat. I don't care if you're eating a carbohydrate-based diet or a fruit diet. At that point, your body is going to access and use fat unless you have an insulin problem or you're diabetic or something. So your body still will use fat simply because once insulin's in check, your body burns fat very easily. People don't quite fess up to that, but all you have to do is get insulin in check. And so that just means don't eat. So don't eat between, if you don't eat between, let's say you ate lunch and you ate dinner, you ate lunch at noon and you ate dinner at six. Around four hours in, depending on the meal, your body's gonna revert back to burning fat. Why? Because you've probably absorbed that carbohydrate, you've, you've stored it or used it or both. And your, your insulin's in check. If you're healthy, insulin's in check. And your body goes, now let's burn fat again. And it will. It's when you start snacking, when you start doing things to interrupt this. Too frequent of eating, I think, causes more trouble than most people realize. 
in their life because now you, there's an insulin issue sometimes if a person's weakened pancreatically or it's just a calorie thing. Why eat if you don't need those calories? And I'm not saying you should eat once a, one meal a day. I know people that do that and they, they seem to be okay, but I have a feeling, I've always felt it has a tendency to make me fat if I just eat one meal a day uh, because I probably gorge <laughs> at that meal. Whereas if I eat two meals a day, it works way better for me. I can eat a, quite a bit of food, but not feel like I'm stuffing. And even if I eat three meals a day, it's okay. But sometimes that feels like too much. But I will sometimes do three meals, but not, not very often. You know, this really, the next thing I'll, I'll say here, I think this will be important for people who are listening who haven't tried it yet. I cannot give the scientific explanation like the much better other Jay can. Uh, but I can tell you my personal testimony to intermittent fasting or skipping breakfast, uh, cause I have been doing it now almost without fail for eight or nine months. And everyone's like, how are you so consistent at that? It is not hard. It is absolutely wonderful, wonderful. And here's, here's what I want to share. I had. I had uh, chronic, um, what's the thing with the back, uh, the, uh, the back. Sciatic. Sciatic, sciatic nerve. Thank you. Yeah. I had chronic, chronic sciatica, chronic uh, pain in the knees and just overall getting old, getting oldness, or at least that's what I thought it was. Right. And, but the sciatica was the nasty because there'd be times like I can remember I'd go to NATP national association of television program executives. And that's where I sell my TV shows. And I was in Miami at the uh, fountain blue and everything spread out at these meetings. And I, this is back before everything was online and in the cloud, everything was on hard drives or even old beta SP tapes. So everything was big <laughs> and heavy. And I, I had had like 60 pounds of hard drives and I was carrying them first in a backpack and then a, a satchel and then all these different things. Then I finally wised up and I got the two, the two wheels stroller with the suitcase, but nothing helped when that sciatica would kick in. I would show up at these meetings soaked, soaked and, and in so much pain. I could barely participate in the meetings and it wasn't, wasn't until nothing worked, nothing, nothing, nothing worked until I started the intermittent fasting or just, you know, eating in a window. In my windows, about six hours. And I'll never forget walking into like a Walmart or a Target, whatever. And I got out of my car. It's when I first started doing it. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I started sashaying. I was walking. I was like, I started having like hips. Like, uh, like you know. And all of a sudden, I was just like, wow. I just felt like everything was working. Everything. The motion was easy. Like there was no. I realized how stiff I had been for 10 or 15 years. And the, so anyway, that's, that's my long winded way of saying the timed eating is one of the few things that's ever worked for me. And I also notice, which I know you and I'll touch upon. I notice right up the longer I don't eat the, the crisper I become mentally, the, uh, the quicker my recall on words, the sharper I am in a meeting, the more focused I am doing a podcast. Um, and I don't know if that has to do with insulin or I, you know, I don't know. I don't know the science of it, but I do know that uh, the intermittent fasting so far has been the biggest needle mover for me. Yeah, I think it's incredible because a lot of people don't allow 
their system, no matter what diet they're consuming, it will help because it allows your system enough time for elimination. So the body, especially in, in my experience, I've had a lot of years in this, the morning is the time your body eliminates. It will have more bowel movements in the morning than it ever will at night, always. So from 5 a.m. to noon, is you're gonna be pooping a lot more if you don't eat. Why? Because your body can clean house. It doesn't have to digest, it doesn't have to absorb, it doesn't have to feed misplaced bacteria in your small intestine. It doesn't have to do anything. So it can clean house, which is, it also, again, helps eliminate intestinal bacterial overgrowth, small intestine. So by eliminating that, by fasting, the more often you do it, and it's consistent, it just takes time. Once that's pushed down, then you have less uh, either bloating or any gas preparation or any gas creation or anything else. Um, even if it's created and absorbed quickly, it's still an acid waste. And that acid waste creates, again, systemic acidosis. Systemic acidosis burns. If you have, I don't care what joint, whatever joint, if your wrist hurts, your knuckles hurt, your lower back hurts, kidneys hurt, if anything is hurting, if you if you have a rash on your arm, unless it's a topical problem, there's an acid at play there. Acid has to be causing the pain, the burn, the stiffness. That's what it does. It means the pH is off, usually in your interstitial, but a lot of times it's just simply in your lymph system. It means get out and move, start moving around, start doing things and flush your system, but increase your, your fruit and vegetable intake and keep it equal. Fruits and vegetables should be equal, not all fruit or all vegetables. I don't. I think they, they need to be combined and they need to be in volume and they need to be together. I'll have a uh, I'll have a salad and when I say a salad, a lot of people think, oh, it's a little chopped up, you know, a head of lettuce or something in a bowl with a little ranch dressing on it. No, I'm talking about a bowl that's a big bowl and a big handful of salad grains, grated cabbage, grated carrot, chopped celery, onions, grapes, apples ginger uh, and I dress it with orange juice or tangerine juice or something like that. I cut up small um, tangerines into it and that's a salad. And if I make protein drinks and smoothies, I make those again with uh, a fruit juice, uh, frozen fruit, spinach, cucumber, and then protein powder. Protein powder of choice. If you want to be vegan, you know, go with the pea protein. If you want to be, you know, a vegetarian and use a whey or an egg. And if you're dairy sensitive, just use an egg or, or pea. So that's it. But the alkalinity that's there, the amount of potassium, we're supposed to have 4,700 milligrams in general uh, as a general uh, recommendation of potassium a day. People all over America are getting half that, especially women, but men aren't much better. So they're getting half their potassium needs met. Oh, I think I figured up one time, it was like a 490,000 milligram deficit by one year or something like that. It's some horrendous number of missing potassium. Well, you can pick that up. People use a salt shake. They put salt on everything. And if they don't, they burn up, but it doesn't make them energized. So what do they do to get energy? Well, let's see. Oh, I think I'll get an energy drink and then they have an energy drink. Oh, I think I'll have a cup of coffee. Why is Starbucks so popular? Because People need drugs to get through the day, to get through the morning, to get through anything. Why? They have fatigue, they have chronic fatigue. Chronic fatigue is linked directly to chronic acidosis, systemic acidosis. You're going to dim your batteries in an acid medium. Now, keto, again, I'm gonna just hop in here because the ketogenic people are gonna come after me. If you're ketogenic and that works for you and your heritage and your 
ancestry and, and you were a fat and protein eater, then God bless you and all power to you. I'm not here to poo-poo you if that works for you. It, does, it doesn't work for me to go that way all the time. I don't mind doing it sometimes. Not all the time. Not me, but if it works for you, I don't want anybody thinking I'm here as, as a uh, dictator or uh, you know, some sort of you know, <laughs> food Nazi. No, no, that's not me. I want people to, I want peace. I want people to be okay with where they're at and what works for them. If it doesn't work, they'll question it is what I tell people. If it's not working for you, question why. And I almost guarantee you it's going to go back to a limited amount of fruit and vegetables that gone onto your plate, almost always. And it's, it's tough to get people to eat enough of them, but I can't, I just can't stress it enough. And can you speak to what appears, at least on the surface, to be a bit of a contradiction in terms? You and I have both had the fungal overgrowth issues. It's yeah. very stubborn. It's it's very tricky. And it does some wild things that are mind blowers. Of course, I'm talking about, you know, candida, candida, uh, candidiasis. I said, I said it right. Candidiasis. Candidiasis. Anyway, the the fungal overgrowth. You were just speaking to the importance of eating a lot of vegetables and eating a lot of fruits. Those are very high in sugars. And a lot of doctors will tell you that, you know, with the candidiasis, why can't I say that? Can when you're candida. infected with candida, that's easy way. To there you go. When you're infected with candida you and go. you have the fungus, doesn't fungus love sugar? Oh, yeah. yeah. Fungus even loves uh, fruit sugars, too. They, they kind of like. They even like fructose and so on. Fructose is a slow absorbing sugar. People don't know this either. I bet I could ask 20 people on the street and they, they would say, oh, I didn't know that. But fructose doesn't require insulin. They don't tell you that. That's interesting to know because if you're eating a sugar that doesn't require insulin, that's pretty profound. So, so just think it, your body's not having to pump out insulin when you have fruit because, well, well, it does, but it's a limited amount of insulin. Why? That's why all vegetables like potatoes have a higher insulin response, have a higher glycemic level, have a higher glycemic load usually. Why? Because all those vegetables have to, be, have to turn from starch to glucose. Fruit has glucose and fructose, usually in a almost a perfect balance, but sometimes one go higher, but just imagine they're half and half. So half of that doesn't require, half of that sugar doesn't require insulin. So you only need a half of an insulin response for the fruit. And if it's fruit and you're eating with other things, and let's say you're eating with fat, insulin response is even lower. That's why I think when you come up with nuts and seeds and, and avocados and a big salad with a fruit salad, it slows it down. So back to your point, why doesn't that still feed fungus? It can. And that's where you have to be careful. If you go into the alkaline range quickly and don't back out of it, the alkalinity already starts combating the uh, fungus. That's why in the beginning, my doctor was very smart. He says, don't do any citrus fruits for now. That means lemons, limes, oranges, tangerines, grapefruits. Why? There's an acid base in it. He probably didn't know what he was doing and why in that regard, other than it was a negative factor. But it's the acid level that goes in. And so let's say you're infected all the way up with, with candida. And it's, to your, it's into your mouth or into your, on your tongue and so on. you, you got to alkalize it. People don't know this either, but if you will alkalize to the point where your pH of your mouth is alkaline, bacteria in your mouth can't, can no longer grow. You will not have tartar or plaque 
If you do, it's so small, you don't even notice it. Why? It's the pH in the mouth. Mm. Why does the pH in the mouth change? Because your whole alimentary canal is no longer infected with acid. So it's not backing up. So you're recovering. telling us there's a whole microbiome in the mouth as well. And it's not just Absolutely. in the gut. Yeah. So when, and, and this connected to the, to your large intestine, because this is one end and that's at the other end, those two are connected. So if this one's in balance and you're pooping right, and you're eating the alkaline vegetables and fruits, you have an alkalinity beginning at the top and going through your system. So if you eat small amounts of acid-based foods, it's usually not a problem. But when you don't do that, it is a problem. If you don't give them any food, obviously they die out. But that's not the secret. You'll end up killing. <laughs> you'll Good end guys. You'll win, the, you'll win the fight, but you'll lose the war. Right. What's going to happen. So alkalizing, alkalizing it through and not eating so frequently. Or take a day or two and fast. Just don't eat. People think, isn't that hard to do? I go, what's hard about doing nothing? You don't have to do anything. If you don't eat breakfast, guess what? It saves me hours of time. I don't have to shop. I don't have to chop it up. I don't have to cook it. I don't have to even, even if it's raw, I don't have to do anything. I don't even have to peel it. I don't have to do anything. Nothing. I just, I didn't clean up. There's no dishes. I'm done. I'm just, I have all that free time. So what's easier, doing nothing or having to do all this? Oh, I got to go to the store. Oh, you got to spend money. The only time you're going to have to eat, what, what happens there, in my, for me, is it's super easy not to eat for all those reasons you mentioned. I love the freedom. I love the extra time it gives me. I don't have to clean dishes. All that part's easy. Here's, here's what happens. This is, we're talking about the sophistication of some of these buggies. I will get to 5 or 6 p.m. and I'm like, you know what? I'm getting a lot of work done and my brain is working. I don't even want to eat. And then all of a sudden, I'll start getting almost a nausea, almost a lightheaded, not a healthy, like they always talk about if you can fast and get to a certain um, marker when you're, I guess it's probably when you're really fully keto adapted, you'll start feeling fantastic. You'll be like, I'll never eat again, right? You'll start feeling so good running on fat and having a flat shredded stomach. You'll feel so good like that. You'll never want to eat again, but I never get to that stage. And I, I Someone told me that the candida buggies and a lot of the bad buggies, they will actually send out little drops of poison, little signalings that actually make you sick to force you to eat a sweet so they can get their, their sugar. <laughs> I would believe it because that's where a lot of cravings come from. I, I really believe that. Because when, why would you crave sweets if your body's burning fat your brain really prefers sugar i don't care what the keto people say i think it still likes to burn sugar if it can i think we're um partially keto adapted naturally by intermittent fasting or just skipping breakfast as i used to say um that's that's when we become uh adapted to using ketones at a, at a normal level not all the time so it, it's just imagine they're screaming out for something and then you throw an alkaline food blob at them and they realize that they're sugar but it, wait a minute this sugar is in a very alkaline medium uh oh trojan horse hang with this i we gotta we can't poop fast enough to make an acid and so it gradually they get beat down and that's the difference that now you have a long-term solution not infrequent eating coupled with an alkaline based food uh, supply and in the beginning, a lot of times just skipping acid fruits in case it's infiltrated all the way up. If it hasn't, it generally doesn't matter. 
but that's one safeguard. So those foods going through your system, fuel the body, get the potassium in there. There's no way I know you can get enough vitamin C to be as resilient as you should be without eating a lot of fruit. I don't know of any way. Fruits are vitamin C and potassium rich. Those are two key nutrients that the body needs for energy to regulate itself and to um, boost the immune system. The immune system is the key. And it's it has to be, again, in the alkaline range. It has to have those minerals. We're just talking about minerals. They're far more important than vitamins. Vitamins are important, but minerals are more important. So once you get that in there, once you get the alkalinity, viruses, fungus, and bacteria have no chance. And in my opinion, uh, I think cancer doesn't have a chance either. It, it will not thrive unless it's in an acid environment too. I think those four, because there's four of them, so you have cuatro. When you put four of those together, any of those can go wild on you if you're in an acid environment internally. If, you're, if your cells are bathed in an acid fluid, and it doesn't take that much, but the more acidic you are, the more happy they become. They think, wow, we're in, a, we're in a big colon. Your whole body becomes a colon at that point, and they go wild. It's, it's, it's so simple. After back from in the beginning, I couldn't figure it out. It's so simple. I just stepped back and I thought, okay, let's look at the big picture. Inside of you, you have little bugs, and little bugs want to feed on you, and you're the host. That's it. There's nothing more to it. So what do you do with the bugs that are in your system? the wrong place they will eat you alive so if you die they eat you alive that's how you get eaten up unless you you know embalm yourself you will just literally be eaten up by bacteria fungus whatever is convenient they will they will chomp you up and, and come back to the earth that's just nature nothing wrong with that so while you're alive though they have to be in check and they need to stay in their room and their room is your colon and that's where they need to go to so you guys are acting up so go to your room right now and don't take your phone with you that is so well said, so well said. And it's such an easy picture to, uh, to um, internalize and, and to get it, you know, uh, I, I see everything in visuals, you know, and that, that's a wonderful way of visualizing what I need to do and also coming to terms with the apparent contradictions because, you know, intuitively I was going toward the, ketones and towards the meat only because I didn't want to feed the candida or feed the fungus. But now I'm realizing that's counterintuitive. It's while it's counterintuitive, it is, it's still factual. You, it's just like, you know, even though it doesn't seem to make sense on the surface, when you drill down a little bit and realize the alkalinity and acid aspect of it. And like you said, not giving them time to poop, which cells do, not giving them time to create that acid environment because everything's moving so quickly. And, 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 and you, like you say, starve them. And then they're looking at you like, Hey, you haven't fed me in 16 hours. Give me something like, here you go. Oh, and it's sweet. It's sweet. You're going to love it. Here you go. Here you go. It's almost like um, how you hide medicine, you hide medicine in your dog's food. Like when you're feeding your dog, you you hide the medicine. (laughs) The dog thinks, Oh, this is good. This is good. They smell the sugar and they take the bait. And the next thing you know, yeah. oh my God, we stepped into the alkaline medium and they just start withering. They, they can't, they, they go, wow, well, they can't do it. And that that's fascinating. Crazy. Yeah. Now get this. There's so many little twists and turns of this. A lot of people say, well, then why don't you just eat fruit all the time? Because if you eat fruit all the time in the beginning, then 
they can feed on that fruit to the point where they can produce enough acid to probably survive through that. And that's why I think without the fasting part of it, you know, in other words, if somebody says, I'm just going to do, I'm only going to eat fruits and that's it. Uh, they still have so much food they can produce enough acid to create systemic acidosis. And that's why I think uh, I've discovered the skipping the breakfast is huge. And then having mixed, and this is something else I figured out too um, that helped me, is I like to have a starch when I eat fruits and vegetables. Because the starch- Slow if it I, down. Fructose um, for me doesn't absorb as well unless it's accompanied by glucose. That's, that's common. So most fruits have glucose and fructose, but some of them are higher. So if that happens, it can lead to, for me, to gas and bloating because it doesn't get absorbed right and it will go all the way for me to the colon. And that's, a, and that's a problem. So if I eat a starch with it, I'm creating a lot more glucose. So if I had, like for lunch, I had a, like a potato uh, and a big salad and then a big protein drink, they were all, every one of those was alkaline with avocado on top and everything else. The potato turns to glucose which can accompany any fructose I consume. So I can have all that fruit. It all gets absorbed very easily. If it doesn't get absorbed and you have anything in your small intestine at the lower end, it feeds on it big time. And that's where people get into trouble. So I suggest starch with a meal that has fruits and vegetables. And, and that's why I like potatoes, like the, the Okinawans. They have a sweet potato. It's a starch, but it's, it's a high fructose starch, but it's enough to get through. So that's, that allows, Glucose to be shuttled right, right across the villi and the, the membrane of the small intestine and be absorbed effectively. And once it's absorbed, then it's going through your system and fueling you and, and, and enters your bloodstream. But if it's not, it's going to be in your colon and eventually will feed any bacteria that's at the lower end of your colon, or excuse me, small intestine. Uh, fiber, interesting too. Fiber seems to be fine, again, as long as you're in an alkaline medium. If you take the alkalinity out of all this, and uh, let's just say you took uh, oat bran with uh, a meat uh, and a meat-based diet or meat and eggs diet with not enough veggies, it's going to cause problems because the acid load is too high to buffer that out. So again, I can't stress enough, getting alkaline the right way and not being fanatical about anything, not trying to be a, I'm a fruitarian or I'm a world foodist or whatever you think you're gonna to try to be. Be careful with that. Don't be labeled, like I say, don't be labeled on your forehead, anything. Go by feel, get those fruits and vegetables in there. Miss that breakfast, go for a period of time, listen to your stomach growl, make things happen in your system. Watch your, watch your bowel movements, how often, what are they like? As they get better and better and better, the system is healing itself. The alkalinity heals itself. Now viruses, bacteria, fungus doesn't have a chance outside or anywhere in your body. So now you start feeling better. But what's important is you're fueling your brain. When people get into going or cutting carbs, they do not know what they're doing in the beginning. And what happens is they feel great one day, two, they feel great. Day three, they feel great. By day four, they feel awful. Why? Their brain, their brain runs out of sugar. Why does it run out of sugar? Because you run out of glycogen. Glycogen is muscle starch stored in the muscle and in your liver. liver. Your liver, when it gets low on glycogen, it usually releases it and that's what fuels your brain. It goes straight to the bloodstream, that's what it's for. Your body can use the muscles glycogen for energy to train and stuff like that, that's different. Your brain almost always wants glucose coming out of the liver if you're not eating. 
And that's where people screw up. So then they go, I don't know what happened. And then they're binging. And next thing you know, they got a pizza in their face and they're drinking, you know. Oh, it's over. Oh, it's over at that point. It's over. And all all the body's doing is saying, hey, I can't think anymore because I'm out of energy. I have no, you, you didn't give me any fuel for three days. What do you want? I have no ability to burn fat yet because that's where the ketogenic people, they, they're right. It takes 30 days or so for your brain to burn ketones. And even though I'm not a fan, that may work for people. It's I like- hard. No, it's hard, Jay. It's hard. It's uh, yeah. when someone when someone says to me, hey, man, I'm keto adapted. I'm like, you're a monster. And they say, what do you mean? I said, you're a monster. Somehow you got through like 10 days of keto flu. Like you're a beast. Or longer. Yeah. I mean, you're just a monster to get your body because it's like you're right. Your brain gets angry and it gets stupid and it hurts and you get nauseous and sweaty. And it's like I think it's a combination. Yeah, you're running out of what your brain needs to think. And also all the buggies are pissed off. So they're secreting all of their little tricks. The colon's not happy, so you're not pooping enough. But uh, but keep in mind, if you're keto adapted, you you have to stay keto adapted, or you're now going to run into challenges. Because if you start switching fuel after keto adapted, I don't think you go back to being keto adapted so quickly uh, as if as you do when you're just using moderate amounts of ketones when you're not eating. So when you're keto adapted, and all of a sudden you go off of that, then you you have certain problems because now your body one boom you're going to secrete insulin at very high volume in general and then you're going to store things really really fast and then you're also not your brain's going back to burning sugar why and your body's going back to burning sugar because it will until you use the insulin up and so that's that's where problem early bodybuilders did that a lot i mean i did it i used to you know go days and then i would just load up that was very common it worked well um, but if you don't know what you're doing, I would never go ketogenic. I would always go two, three, maybe pushing a three day and then bite. And at that time, then I would hit it. That was like carb cycling. That works. But most people, you got to know what you're doing. If you're keto adapted, you can't go backwards all of a sudden because your brain doesn't like it. It wants to burn ketones. And if it goes back to sugar, now I have to readapt myself. Oh my God, now what do I do? And so it does become tricky. And I'm not saying again, ketogenic works. It does. And it works for a lot of people. But it's also someplace that you probably can't get out of. Whereas if you're just eating fruits and vegetables and don't decide to eat for a while, you don't have the same problem unless you want to go fasting for three days, which I don't generally recommend. I'd rather someone just did three days of fruits and vegetables. Use the alkalinity things. I, I, real quick story. Years ago, I was working at uh, Jimbo's in uh, North Park in San Diego. And we had all, we'd, always, we'd have different movie stars come in and Dennis Weaver and Bill Channing, all these different people come in. And then uh, we'd have other top authors who would always come in and shop there because it was one of the few health food stores back in the day. And so um, Charlotte Gerson came in and she was a regular shopper and they always bought organic because that was what our store was known for. And I was the organic produce manager. So I would make sure they got hooked up. And so everything organic is what they got because Charlotte Gerson was, uh, she had the Gerson Institute uh, in Mexico. Oh, it's heavy duty. Yeah. Big name. They, that they treated cancer. And, and I believe it was at a very high uh, rate uh, of recovery for these, for these people. I can't claim that they could cure cancer or anything like that, but from the studies and things I've seen, it was very well, but she was into juicing. And so was the, the Gerson Institute was into, into, uh, until doing 13 glasses of juice a day. And I thought, wow, this is my mind. So one day she went down to Mexico 
though. She says, why don't you come with me down to Mexico and uh, we'll visit the clinic and we'll just hang out. We'll chill for the day or whatever. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm afraid to stop hippie. Oh, yeah, let's go, man. <laughs> let so me get the Volkswagen Beetle out and we'll go. That's right here. Let me, let me park my bug over here, but this is my home. And let me get a <laughs> nice car. <laughs> <laughs> so we beat feet to Mexico and down there, and I get to see her facility. But more than that, she talked to me all the way down, all the way back, because it's, it's a couple of hours by the time you get across the border and everything else, even though San Diego is fairly close. And it was amazing all the things she told me and why. And, and, and that's why I early on learned about the potassium and, and be careful of sodium because sodium and potassium are antagonistic as she explained it. And it's true. If you, every time you overeat sodium, you have to excrete potassium. So if you're eating a lot of potassium, you excrete sodium. So that's where water bloating goes down, but she has, it has an effect on the cell because again, the cell is looking for potassium inside. And she says, it. and just like I, you know, all the research I've seen, you know, and, and just basic textbook. Outside should be bathed in salt. Inside should be high in potassium. And that's where she said, that's where the healing takes place. That's where everything changes about. That's where everything regenerates. It's because of the potassium inside the cell. That's why she gave them 13 glasses of juice. These are terminally ill patients, by the way. These weren't just, oh, I just feel like going a, a juice cleanse. These were people that were all well, you know, they definitely. get the worst of the worst because they've already gone through the traditional allopathic yes, ringer. All that, yes. They've been yeah done all of the, the brutal stuff yeah. and there's no hope. And so they get desperate. So they go down and do the thing they should have done in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And she had certain foods that she thought were better than others, at least for terminally ill cancer patients. And she wasn't, she didn't like fruits as much. And I think it might've been because of the, the fungal stuff that they might've been experiencing. I don't think she knew about the fasting and so on, but, she knew that fasting didn't work for cancer patients. Uh, she, she knew that. Well, her, her Cause nutrients, they knew the nutrients, right? Yeah. Max Gerson was the doctor that created all that. So she knew fasting wasn't good because it still, once again, you go back into an acid state. Fasting is just mm. mode where I, I don't have food. How can I, can I live off my reserve? Sure you can, as long as you get back to eating right after several days or a week or whatever it is. So she knew that she, she allowed potatoes. There were certain things she, I think it was homemade yogurt or non-fat. Fats were, she said, you have to be very, this is what she told me, very careful of the fats because they overload the liver because the liver has to deal with the fats and the lymphatic system. And so for that, so I thought she gave me all these nuggets of wisdom. And plus I read all her books and stuff and Max Gerson's books. And, and it was just fascinating to me. And so I took all that and I realized if you, if you take those little nuggets, they all spell one thing. And it's back to the alkalinity that you have to maintain. And if you've gone too far, you have to bring measure, which was fur. But normally that's not the case. Normally you just eat like Okinawans or the people in Loma Linda or the people in uh, Sardinia. I think that's number three uh, in Italy. The people that live the longest, they always rely on the plant foods. And if, if you just can get back to that homeostasis, that back to that, that balance internally, it's the internal balance that's, that's missing. And, and again, it's not a drug induced thing. You can use antifungals and so on, but if you'll just do what nature says, don't eat all the time. And when you do pick, pick your food, <laughs> literally pick your food. Mm. So that's what I from Charlotte Gerson and, and she, I think she's still going, she's in her nineties, but amazing, you know, Patricia Bragg, you know, a friend of mine too. She's, she must be out there too. She'll never tell me her age, but anyway, she looks phenomenal for her age. And she's always been into, you know, the big 
big salads and fruits and vegetables and some fasting and things like that. So I look at the people that have lived the longest to learn the most from probably that's the best. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? We're talking with J Rob, the GOP guru of peace. Jay's a peace advocate, best-selling author, and looks just an infinitely cool. If you're listening to this podcast, just you know, if, if it's just an audio listen, do yourself a favor, jump over to my YouTube at unitedfightalliance.com so you can get a good look at this guy, man. A handsome dude. He's a spiritual guru. He's a diehard hippie, a seminar host. He's a former fitness club owner, natural bodybuilder, clinical nutritionist protein powder magnet and we'll be talking about that because i love talking with people who really take their businesses 10x oh, i love it i love it oh, yeah, i gotta get my glasses on here hang on so yeah. look oh yeah are we live yet you know what's really good about that like it's very accurate like <laughs> you know what i mean like the logo looks exactly like it's really good branding where you're not going to mistake you yeah, know, like sometimes get, as long as I have to wear my glasses everywhere, I'm not wearing them right now, but I have to put them on or people don't, they go, Oh yeah, that's you. <laughs> Did you do a, um, any like case study or any kind of like, um, field work on logos and what works and everything? Or was it just an organic, this is, this is the color I like. And so that's what I'm going to do. Or, you know, cause everyone knows the importance of a good logo. Well, it went back to, I was the, First, um, I remember I, my protein when it first came out. I it was just I just put you know my name on and then the protein and all that. And it wasn't until I'm, I'm trying to remember the year. Might have been like twenty something years ago. I I said, well, I'm going to put my my I'm going to put my face on there. And actually, I just put my upper body up there. And you know, and I was put my arms together. I said, I'm going to put my image on there because I want people to know, one, who I am, and two, I want them to know that I stand behind my product. And so that's how, that's how I started out in that thought process was I wanted to market and brand my face and my image and that I was an actual person, not just a company or a business or whatever, and, and, and was backing that up. So, so when I put together or when I changed my looks, I put my headband on. I said, well, I just want to, I just need a logo, which is you know, the, the guy, try to get that without a no, shine on it. You so can see it. It's, um, easy to recognize and have my colors. And we've, we've used teal, black and white in, in the early days of my protein powders and stuff. So we just went back to that and I had my graphic designer work with it. And I said, no, do this, do that and change this. And, it. and I said, now I'll simplify it. And bingo, two years ago, we probably have 15,000 of those out all over, uh, the Palm Beach area pretty soon all over the all over America and then pretty soon all over the planet. When you say out, what do you mean? What's that? You said we have 15,000 of these out. What do you mean out? Where uh, are they? We printed 15. I think I printed over. Well, I printed over. I printed about 20,000. Now we got about 15,000 of those stickers. Those are stickers. These, these are here. Hang on. Let me spin around here. These are the stickers. There we go. Those are the ah, there's no shine on them. Very cool. Is that once we get the yeah, there oh, yeah, nice. Sorry, a little bit of a glare there, but anyway, so we got so I hand those out everywhere I go. Let me put a glass on so you see it. So we hand those everywhere I go, and now, now and locally, people know 
oh yeah, there's the Arab, you're a piece. And then, I mean, everyone, we, you know, if I valet park, I give them to the guys, here's your tip and here's your sticker. <laughs> they put them on their cash box. They'll put them, I mean, everywhere you go. That For some reason, people like that implement. I don't know why, other than I like it. I think it's a cool looking thing. You know, it has like a kind of like old school cholo style or something. Just It's just a cool looking image. And, and people then, are into collectibles, you know, like. Yeah, and they love stickers. And so they on their guitar case on. or on their, you know. On, put them on something. Yep, yep. Stickers, so, you know, you put them on your suitcases, you know, mm -hmm. like this different stickers from all over the world type of thing. And it's just a cool thing. It's yeah, a cool and, they put them on they, and they like and, and it reminds me because on the back it says, I run on these. That was the diet guru for that one. I don't think you know, you probably can't see it on there. But then after that, I put hang loose on the back. So and then, and then jrob.com. And then the new ones will say guruofpeace.com, my new website also. I have jrob.com and guruofpeace.com. So it will have that, which sends them. I have two websites, and one is for the peace movement, hang loose, the peace and love, and all that, clothing line. The other one is for protein. So that's yeah. awesome. Let's talk about protein. You let's talk about protein, man, because uh, you know, first, you know what, first to encapsulate what we've talked about so far, and see if I've uh, you know, if I can just put it into kind of simple marching orders for the people at home, you know, primarily fruit and veggies for alkalizing reasons, reasons for phytonutrient reasons, for fiber reasons, for hydrating reasons, you know, just the they're just the perfect food. If you're going to do meat, I'm guessing you're going to want grass fed a small amount. Make sure that the you know, that the oil is an omega three oil, not an omega six oil. Um, but that should be a smaller portion. Um, and then if you're going to be doing, you know, starches, uh, you're much better off with a sweet potato than you are with a grain. Um, because a, the sweet potato is more of a slow starch. It's not going to give you a big uh, sugar dump like like the grains do. Is that accurate to say? Um, not necessarily. Um, it's not 100 percent accurate because. It depends on when you eat foods, it depends on what you eat them with. Uh, and if there's a fat, fat buffers more, better than anything else that I know of. So a certain amount of fat will slow the release of the sugar in the bloodstream because fat slows the motility of the stomach, meaning the stomach, as it, as it, it just kind of digests, as it's starting to digest, it just moves food around. That's the motility of it. Well, that slows down with fats present for whatever reason. But anyway, that slows the emptying of the stomach. So what could take an hour might take two hours or three hours to empty out. So it's the slow emptying that causes a slower release combined with fiber. Fiber can do that too, the breaking down of certain things and so on. The only difference between grains and it's like a potato or a sweet potato is the alkalinity of them. Uh, Most got it. have a little more uh, acid base and uh, potatoes and sweet potatoes are alkaline for sure. So and one of the other uh, elements, the sorry yeah. about that. One of the other uh, macros that helps to slow down the spiking of the sugar is probably your favorite macro in the history of macros, given what you do for a living. And that, of course, is protein. I can't think of a better guy to talk about protein than a guy who sold millions of dollars worth of protein and has formulated like that's <laughs> the thing that's fun to watch about you, Jay, is. You're never happy with like you're always improving and always curious and always tweaking this and tweaking that to come up with the best tasting protein on the face of the planet. 
Why is protein so important to have with every meal? Well, it, actually, you don't have to have it at every meal because your body will use a or keep a pool of amino acids for later use. So that's that use, that's kind of a myth. But the reason uh, I would want to do it at both of my meals for me is because I usually just eat twice a day. So I have two meals a day if I have an, another meal or whatever. So if I just did it at one meal, sometimes it's not quite enough protein. So I prefer to have it at each meal. And protein will slow down um, the release of carbohydrate into the bloodstream or sugar into the bloodstream. It's uh, also, uh, we don't need as much protein as people think. Uh, and I, and I, I'm, I sell protein and so on, but I always try to tell people, honestly, you're, you only need about 15% of your calories from protein. And so you can pick whatever source you want. But what's uh, important if you don't do that, and I've done many personal experiments where I did not use any additional protein, protein powder or anything, no meats, no cheese, no dairy, no eggs, anything like that. It's fruits, vegetables, and more of a vegan style, but really vegan style without even going into to beans and things to see, this is true. I, you know, I just, I just want to, is this real? So what I did, and I would train and I would see how I uh, recovered and how strong I was by the rep count that I was doing in the gym. And I noticed that if my uh, protein intake went below 15%, I got uh, significantly weaker and I could not recover from training and my muscles actually diminished. So I could tell my arm size, the circumference would shrink, shrink and so on. And so then I just actually just added protein back into a certain value, a certain uh, amount, excuse me. And I would note when that was enough and when my strength returned. And that required, again, 15 to 20% was about the, the amount or percentage that I needed of all my calories. What was most important uh, for training recovery is to make sure that it was, and I couldn't, and you can't just eat protein and expect to, and, and nothing else. In other words, if you're just eating protein, your body starts using protein as energy. That's not what you want. So if you're eating adequate calories and carbohydrate over here, and then you you 20 to 15 per 15 to 20% of your calorie intake as protein, it works well. Cause you're not using any of that protein for energy. It's not converting through, you know, nucleo or uh, neo, whatever it's called. Um, like not glycation, uh, nuclear, no, I know what uh, you're talking about. Yeah. Gluconeogenesis is yes. when it's converting and over. That's it. Sorry. I, I, the term got twisted. But anyway, you're not doing that. You're not wasting the protein and uh, because that actually converts the muscle tissue to sugar, which can happen on a, on a low carb diet. So, cause you're running one and you run your brain. That's why your body breaks down the, the muscles. It, it just does. So, and if you're eating food, it will break down the meat or whatever it is that you're eating also to convert it to glucose to run your brain if you're not getting adequate calories. So in a fasting state or in a, in a fasting state where you're eating only meat or something like that, it's, uh, it's wasting a lot of that protein and that's difficult to do. So when you're not wasting and you're eating adequate calories and you're eating carbohydrate, protein can be utilized, which is why I like to have a, my protein shakes like, like this right here. When I have one of these, I try to make it, you know, have, uh, you know, I put the, I put the juice, the cucumber, the veggies, the carrot, the celery, the spinach, um, the mango and the banana in it. So that I have plenty of alkalinity 
and then the protein. And so it, it balances out the ratio. And then I use nuts in, in my shakes. So in, in the re and the reason when I make a shake like that, I, uh, I put nuts in it. When I put it in the blender, if you don't have a fat in there, it foams yeah. up. Yeah. So I always, I always use a fat and, and it just comes out perfect. Plus it tastes good. It tastes right. Yeah. Never, better texture. Better texture. I don't want it. I don't want it. So when I use it and I'll use, and my favorite for me is the egg white, but most people use the whey or whey protein. Yeah. So there's a bunch of bullet points on protein in um, one of your books. And maybe I'll just do the bullet point and you can give me a quick why. And that way we'll kind of like uh, the case for protein has been made, but it's good for people who are really interested in why it's so good. So I'll go through the different bullet points in your book and you just tell me why. So protein improves your mood. Because it stabilizes blood sugar levels. Moods are generated by the chemical brain neurotransmitters, dopamine, uh, and uh, serotonin and norepinephrine, those are the three. So dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. If any of those get out of balance, then you have either an up or a down, you get sleepy or you get too amped or all the above, or, or you just become erratic and moody. When you have, uh, let's just say you've consumed a, a very simple sugar and it spiked your insulin and you didn't have a fat with it to stabilize or anything like that. So if you ate something sweet, and let's just say it was, it was a, a can of pop or something like that. So you had that, and it spiked insulin and it spiked blood sugar levels. When it spikes, your body um, produces quite a bit of insulin, and the insulin then allows tryptophan to be shuttled into the brain. Once it's shuttled into the brain, tryptophan is converted over to serotonin, serotonin, is the brain chemical neurotransmitter that makes you kind of sleepy and tired like you do at Thanksgiving. So on, at Thanksgiving, after you eat, you know, you kind of like go over to the couch and you fall asleep because serotonin levels are so high, it's the relaxing brain chemical neurotransmitter. You flip that around and if you put protein in it, then tyrosine competes for tryptophan to get to your brain because they're trying to get in there at the same time when they're competing, if you have the protein first and then even if at the same meal, if you just had the protein first or there's enough of it, it'll compete enough that the tryptophan does not get into the brain and it does not make that conversion. So tyrosine's in there, which creates uh, dopamine and dopamine is alertness, norepinephrine and dopamine. They are more of an alertness brain chemical neurotransmitter. When you put those two together, you get a balance of serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. That's the secret. So having a meal that contains the protein, but only a certain amount, and a fat that buffers the release of the food, and the fruits and vegetables gives you exactly what you want to create the brain chemical neurotransmitters that make you happy, peaceful, and excited. And in fact, it was uh, in my book, I might have a new book called uh, Hang Loose. It's coming out very soon, like this week. And in there, I tell about how um, simply eating a balanced a meal has an effect on you able, you're being able to hang loose. So if you just ate, and this happens to a lot of people that try to do like Atkins or any heavy meat-based uh, programs, is they get so they get so much tyrosine and not enough uh, serotonin created, or excuse me, uh, tryptophan to the brain, so they don't get enough serotonin and they get way too much in the work and effort. What they're then stuck with is 
so alert, they're almost hyper. Why? Because they don't have serotonin to relax them. So they find themselves up at night doing things. It's like, hey, it's midnight. I'm not even tired yet. I have so much energy. Well, they don't realize it's just their brain chemical neurotransmitters that aren't allowing them to relax because they're getting hyped. So if you back that off, put in the carbohydrate with the protein, it's perfect. If you just do the protein, it doesn't work. Even uh, protein-only diets don't work. It's always the balance of those, and it has to be in there. And it's best if you have a protein with a little bit of fat. And I prefer plant fats myself, like nuts and seeds and so on. But uh, I notice... I notice it, Jay, uh, when I don't put a protein in. There's, you know, there were a lot of times where I, I've tried everything, probably just like you. And the times I tried uh, when I was in L.A., I did vegetarian for about six years and uh, I liked it. Uh, but the older I got, here's my suspicion. The older I got, the harder it was for me, for my body to keep dealing with the insulin spikes. So in other words, I got less and less efficient. I got less and less sensitive to the insulin and I got less sensitive. And I suspect that I started to become pre-diabetic and just age. It's just being eating a lot of carbs uh, and not having the, not having it be uptake slowly. So I was eating a ton, a ton of carbs for year after year after year. And my body just, you know, it, it could handle it for a long time because the organs were young and vital and robust. And the older I got, the harder it became. And I, it took me a long time to figure out how not to crash and how not to. And that is if I'm going to make a sweet potato soup, which I love, I've got, I better put some Turkey burger in there. <laughs> it's just, it's just the reality because yeah. if I eat that sweet potato and then I do a salad, you know, and, and I have a piece of bread, whatever, I'm going to be going to sleep for three hours. I'm going to be going to sleep for three hours. That's where a certain amount of fat uh, comes in handy, too. A lot of people, oh, I don't want to eat any fat at all. I go, no, because your body, one, likes it. Two, it tastes good with those foods. And three, they're essential. It's fats are essential. So when you have fat and protein and those two bases are covered, you got it made. And then you just need the alkalinity and the carbohydrate to run your brain. And you're a happy camper like you found out. When you try to isolate these things, and I've, I'm just like you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm insane when I go, to do a diet experience. I'm just total guinea pig. I don't care what it is. I'll do it until it makes me ill. But I want to know, does this work or not? Does it work just to eat fruit or not? It doesn't. I've tried it. It does not. I wish it did because I like it. But it doesn't. I don't care what they say. It doesn't work and it, and it never will work. And, and you just keep doing it. After a while, you're going you're gonna to make yourself ill. So it's close to that. I mean, we're not that far away from having a lot of fruit, uh, but you have to have the vegetables. I think we evolved to the point where we do need a small amount of starch and there's a certain amount of protein we have to have. We are not uh, monkeys anymore. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I was, I think I was in New England and I had a, a winter, I was a vegetarian and I had a little, it was a long winter, it was Boston. And somehow when the sun came out, it was spring. It was probably, probably a Red Sox game, but we all went and I just, I, I got weak and I ate a bunch of meat with a couple of my fraternity brothers, ate a bunch of meat and we were walking to Fenway park. And so it was sunny. So it was a combination of sun and meat all at the same time after being trapped in a house in winter, <laughs> right? It's like COVID being a vegetarian, 
or a vegan during COVID for 10 months, getting no essential, like getting really <laughs> no complete proteins. And I, and I know you could do it vegetarian, but I didn't know how to do it back then. Oh, I felt so good. I said, oh, and then I realized how bad I had felt over the winter. I realized how creaky and achy I was when that went away, when I was out in the sunshine. Um, like you said, I try everything and I see what works. And so far, it's exactly what you say. It's getting my macros, getting my oil, getting my protein and lots and lots of veggies. And then at night, I think I told you this. There's a couple of times I tried to go. I tried to just do moderate fruit and veggies. It's probably because of some mistaken notion about the candida, about about the fungus. And so I was kind of trying to cut it back. But by day two or day three, I was eating frozen fruit. I'm like, well, I'll just have a one little piece of frozen pineapple, one little frozen banana. And after the first, I ate the first one, it was this because my body wanted it. Like it, it, it was so hydrating. And so, you know, I don't know. It, it just, I got to trust my body to some degree. Hopefully it wasn't the buggies talking. Now, the most desired food by the human body is definitely fruit. There, there's no doubt about it. I don't, and anybody can test this against what I'm saying just by common sense and, and simple trial and error. You give the first food to a child, small child at five months when they're still breastfeeding and you want to introduce solid food, you don't introduce an egg yolk or an egg. You don't introduce a piece of fish, you know. You don't introduce meat. Here, have a steak. You, know, you give them, not all societies do this, but most do, a fresh fruit that's smashed up, like a banana, yep. uh, a mango, a mango, uh, any fruit, just soft and mashed up. And that's the, the child's first solid food. We naturally want that. Well, that doesn't change as we get older. After we're weaned, and we can introduce a few other foods, but that, that desire for fruit, which is, you know, we've evolved through it and we still have it. We're tropical animals. We don't live in the cold well. We don't have fur coverings. We don't have those things. We can only survive where it's very warm. I'm in the North Palm Beach, Florida, and it still gets a little nippy down here. And this is very close to Hawaii's climate. I mean, but when it gets to 50, I'm not die now. <laughs> you know the feeling. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. too. Yeah. So I'm acclimated to warm and not wearing very many clothes like a pair of trunks all the time and that's it so that's what we naturally are drawn to we can see fruits from a long distance on a tree you can see you see you know my, the mangoes grow all the way up into tampa too or are they do they stop like coconuts i don't know i don't know if they grow they, up i here. think they might stop down by sarasota anyway we're down okay. south in palm yeah. beach county and so mango trees, banana, papaya, all tropical fruits grow well. So if you get back and they start getting ripe, they start turning that reddish and there's like hundreds and hundreds of them on these huge mango trees. It's my favorite fruit, by the way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You can see them from, from 200 yards away. Well, that's why our eyesight is designed to see red and very bright colors like oranges and so on and yellow. Why? Because that's the food we're seeking that we want to be able to find if, if we were having to be hunters and gatherers oh, i'll and eat i'll eat a whole uh i'm sorry go ahead no go ahead no as i say i'll eat a whole costco has these three pound bags of organic mangoes and they cube them they're in chunks oh yeah i'll eat 
that's about two sittings for me. That three pound bag is two sittings. I, I, I mean, I just, you know, and that never seems, there never seems to be a penalty to pay for that. That if anything, it, it gets you nice and loose, and, you know, yeah, fruit, fruit does nothing but nourish the body. It, it's so high in potassium and the body just laps it up. You, in fact, I've tried getting my quota of daily potassium, which is about 4,700 milligrams per, per day. For, for the male and women too, pretty close to that too. I've tried it without having much fruit and it's next to impossible. Yeah. Get that, you'd have to be eating like a, a you know, two pound tub of spinach or something, which is not appealing to me as instead of like a, a honeydew would probably give me half of my daily. Yeah. And I put, I, I put like spinach and things in my drinks too. So they'll be like, I'll put spinach in here and then the greens and so on. And, and that, that boosted up because all your greens, all the, the high chlorophyll uh, vegetables are very high in potassium. So, but those my, are all secondary foods. Yeah. My big one uh, for the potassium is I'll take, you know, a whole bunch of bananas and I'll peel, you know, 10 or 15 of them, put them in a big Tupperware and I'll spray them with lemon juice. And the reason I initially did it is because I noticed if it takes the bananas a while to freeze, if it takes them like a day to freeze, Sometimes without their peel, they can turn a little brown, even in the freezer. But if you spray them with the lemon juice, it keeps them from getting brown. So that was the original reason I sprayed them with the juice. But then I noticed it had that yummy, sweet and sour combo with frozen yeah. lemon juice over the banana. You take a bite of it, sour on the outside and sweet on the inside. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's, that's one of my weaknesses. I'll eat 10 bananas at night. I'll just I'll eat 10. You know, with the lemon juice sprayed on them and they're frozen oh, or just, oh, or you just, it's so it's, it is. I've never done that. No, it's delicious. Cause it's sour on the outside, you know, the sour lemon, but then as soon as you crunch the banana, it goes, I, I would it never goes have sweet. thought of that. <laughs> well, that's why you're my mentor. That's why I, <laughs> to you for, I go, I never would even thought of that, but you've already you, been doing it for like, you have decades. all the recipes. Let's go a couple, do a couple more proteins here. And uh, let's see, you got one, boost your immune system. Protein boosts your immune system. How does it do that? Oh, your, your immune system is based on a wide variety of things. And if you don't have enough protein, you cannot regenerate your cells. You cannot regenerate your skin. You cannot regenerate basically anything because, and keep in mind, protein is also not just found in solid protein foods, such as eggs and milk and, and meat and so on. But there's protein in all, you know, beans, but there's also protein in fruit. There's protein in vegetables. Vegetables are higher in, in, uh, in protein than fruits, but they're, they still contain a significant amount. So you have to add all that into it, which is how you come up with your end result for that. So getting enough protein that regenerates your cells then keeps the cells strong. Now, a very important amino acid that uh, boosts your immune system, which is the one I always like to talk about, is lysine. Why lysine? Because lysine is an amino acid and it's very high in my whey protein and in dairy products, yogurt, and so on. I don't suggest yogurt, but it, it's high in there. So anyway, milk and so on, it's high in, in lysine. Lysine is an amino acid that your body utilizes to create very strong cells. And so if you have vitamin C, lysine, and proline, which is another amino acid, your body can synthesize proline, so I don't worry about it. Lysine's an, uh, an essential amino acid. 
So if lysine and, C, and vitamin C are there in place and strong, the cell becomes very strong. So if a, the cell is strong in, and you have an invading, uh, say a virus over here, it cannot get through the cell wall. It cannot go through there and travel across your body. So it's the cells are put together and they're tight. And then you have a virus that tries to get through it can't. Why? Because it's just, it's just like they're glued together and the cell is so strong, you cannot get through that. Oh, take out tryptophan. The cell wall becomes more permeable and things can travel through it, such as viruses, bacteria, fungus, things like that, but especially viral. Let's say you get a viral infection. A lot of times people get a viral infection during the holidays. They get um, like a herpes simplex, like a cold sore. That's, that's just simply, that's not like a dormant chickenpox thing, but what it is, it's just a virus that's on your skin or on your lip in this particular case that uh, was a lot, it's always there, they're just dormant because if once they're there, they don't go away, your body just keeps them in check. But once lysine goes low, so in the, in, at the holidays, especially people started eating more nuts and peanut butter and, and more junky foods, but especially the higher the, the um, food is in arginine, which is the antagonist lysine, then lysine diminishes and arginine goes up. What arginine does, it doesn't allow the cell to become tight. It allows things to become more loose and free flowing and so on. So the arginine loosens it up and allows a virus to spread or to go through the cell and travel. So once that happens and once it can freely move about the cabin because lysine's low, you suddenly will get a cold, an upper respiratory infection, a sore throat, a nasal infection, a sinus infection, or herpes breakout. Uh, shingles, another thing, that will come out too. Certain rashes are also because of a low lysine. So the protein is critical in that case. So if a person, if you're listening or watching right now, and you ever are susceptible to um, any type of uh, cold sores, uh, frequent upper respiratory infections, um, shingles, any type of herpes outbreaks, anything like that, then your lysine is usually low and just pay attention to it. It's fine to eat the nuts and seeds, I do, but just make sure you also have a higher lysine food or just supplement with lysine if, if you don't like milk or whey protein or anything. Whey protein is so high, if you just had a shake a day, it would probably cover all your lysine bases. Just, it's that high. How does protein reduce food cravings and, you know, like late night snacking type of uh, uh, desires. Uh, how, how does it actually, what's the science behind it? I, I, I've noticed it. it. It levels me off. How does it do that? It's a blood sugar stabilizer. It's as simple as that. When you, like you found out before, and we touched on earlier, uh, anything that slows the stomach from releasing or dumping food rapidly out in the bloodstream that spikes insulin, the, the more stable you are. That's the first part of it. Protein, again, is high in you know, the tyrosine portion or the tyrosine amino acid, which counterbalances the ex excess of tryptophan. And tryptophan, when it's in check, then you have brain chemical neurotransmitter creation that doesn't have too much serotonin, too much um, uh, norepinephrine, or too much dopamine. So you have those three in balance. And that's what you're really looking for. It's usually the brain that's running the show. If it's balanced, then you're fine. A lot of people though, they, they, get, it, they get the imbalance off and let's just say they're carving up too much and not putting things in check and they're too acidic. 
So they start getting tired. So the first thing they do is they reach for a stimulant such as coffee or tea or you know a monster drink or you know some kind of a of a uh, energy drink. That doesn't give you energy necessarily unless it has something in there that's a, a driver for that. But if it's if it's caffeine that's the part of that, caffeine itself does only one thing and that's block your brain from realizing it's tired. It just simply clips off that part of the brain that senses that or, and says. Nope, you don't feel you won't feel that anymore. So you're just as tired. You have the exact same amount of fatigue. You just don't know it. So you will continue moving forward and thinking at a certain rate and so on. But the caffeine is like that. So what goes up though has to come down. If you use that, you have to crash at some point, or that's where the addiction comes in. I'm I'm a, an addiction is simply I want to repeat a, a previous experience that got me high. You're tired, which is painful almost. It just almost hurts to be tired because I just wish I could sleep or take a nap. You get something that's, that lifts you up and doesn't lift you. It just makes you no longer aware that you're tired. And you go, oh, I like that. And then you want to repeat that. And then if you repeat it enough times, it becomes a habit. And all habits are not good. No, there's no habit that's good because it's called unconscious living. I teach people conscious living. That's any habit, even driving can become a habit. You become unconscious with it. Talking to a person, talking to someone in person becomes sometimes unconscious because you're not listening to them and you're, you're off somewhere else or thinking about what you're going to say instead of what they're saying or listening or hearing them or looking in their eyes or whatever it is. So mm. there are habits that we create all out of repetition that we can auto, excuse me, automatically repeat through our subconscious, which is a huge uh, part of my teachings these years is all subconscious reprogramming, which is your subconscious mind that's running the show and you don't want it to, you don't want to be in a habit like that because that's how you can get herded around like sheep. You know, that is so fascinating on so many levels and it can actually really work in the food space. Um, I can remember in 1994, I did a three-month seva at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health in the Berkshire Mountains in Lenox, Massachusetts. There's a lot of good to it, a lot of bad to it. It was, it was rough. Three months of working in the kitchen, I realized how out of shape I was and what a wuss I was. But anyway, one of the things that they were really big on is when you're eating to chew each bite at least 100 times. Now, I already know that you know this, but for our listeners, that's good on so many levels to do. First off, let me say this. It's really hard to do because you want to swallow so much. But the chewing apparently releases more enzymes and makes it much easier. It's a pre-digestion, makes it much easier for your system. Handles a lot of the stuff that you and I were talking about earlier with the SIBO and the CIFO. Um, and it's mindful. So I'm actually paying attention to what I'm doing at the time. And... And so it's kind of like a synergistic two for one where not only are you calming down and not worrying about what you're going to do in three hours while you're eating. Cause there's nothing I can do about that. That's going to happen in three hours. Why am I worrying about that while I'm eating right now? I'm eating. I'm going to be eating for the next half an hour, no matter what. So why not just eat? We'll deal with whatever that thing was three hours down the road, but why do I need to release a lot of stress hormones while I'm eating? And it's not going to fix anything anyway. Worry is such a joke, you know, like it's such a, such an unnecessary 
emotion. Uh, but before before you answer that, I want to let remind everybody who we're speaking with here. For anyone who's hung with us for the last couple of hours, you realize how much Jay can go, like how much this guy knows. It's just it's shocking. Jay Rob, the GOP guru of peace, is a peace advocate, best-selling author, spiritual guru, die-hard hippie, seminar host, former fitness club owner, former natural bodybuilder, clinical nutritionist. That's probably pretty obvious at this point. And here's the part that I love talking about. And this is what I want to tackle next because this is a fun, very inspirational to me as I'm building my business. You are a protein powder magnet. You have crushed it in the protein powder space. And you know how one of the reasons I know you crushed it? I travel pretty extensively for my work, both domestically and internationally. And I, I make it a point, no matter where I am, to find the health food store where I am and get my own food. That way I'm not tempted to eat junky food at the hotel or some junky restaurant. I find the health food store, whether I'm in the United States or another country. And everybody, you know, there's health food stores now everywhere. Without fail, when I'm walking down the aisle, I'll look and there aisle level is J Rob protein right there looking at me saying, hi, Jay. <laughs> I'm like, hi, Jay. <laughs> it is such a trip just to be at some far flung country in the middle of nowhere. And there's my boy right there. Your distribution is ubiquitous. You're and that told me, I said, he's got to be killing it. He's got to be killing it to have this kind of distribution. Um, so I, I wanted to put that out there first. Your, your company killed it. Maybe tell us a little bit about the idea for how you wanted to start a protein company. And most importantly, what was it that like drove you to take it? Because I know you've had to upscale your office space and your warehouse space so many times. I've known you a long time. Every time I talk to you, yeah, Jay, I'm, I'm building another building. I'm buying another building. <laughs> because <laughs> you're always you always have to need more space you know which, which is a good problem to have so i guess the first question is why protein which is kind of obvious after what we talked about but how what was the genesis of actually starting a protein powder company and how the heck did you grow it to this multinational company that it is today well, let's see. I'll start off with saying I was a 20-year overnight sensation. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, it, was, it was an evolution for sure. Uh, probably start from the beginning real quick. When uh, I got my first weight set in 1966, that's when I started doing protein shakes because I read about it in you know, Muscle Builder, which is, eventually became Muscle and Fitness, but it was Muscle Builder back then and had you know, all the old school, you know, Larry Scott, Bill Pearls, and, and Reg Parks and all those early bodybuilders. And they were talking about having a protein drink to kind of supplement the system and, you know, for calories and so on. So I was fascinated by that. So every day I'd have a protein drink and I'd work out. I was just 13, you know, I had uh, big visions of being somebody at some point. So, but I liked them because they were convenient and they taste like kind of like a milkshake. But back then they were so, they were gritty. So I kind of had to cover them over with a little scoop of ice cream or something because <laughs> I was a kid. <laughs> well, now, okay, now it tastes okay. But that wasn't the best thing to do. So anyway, so I used those off and on and so on. And so by the time, you know, I, I owned my first fitness club in 1980. And so I, I wanted to, I, I, got, I had a friend of mine, he was, he was up in LA. And so I wanted to, I, so I carried his protein. I brought it in and I liked it. I had it for like four years. 
and it was good, but it just wasn't quite as good as I wanted. It was pretty good quality and stuff like that. He was a super nice guy and we're still very good friends. So that, you know, I kind of perpetuated that, but I had, I started my own line of vitamins back then it was JSGM. So I had JSGM all a whole line of vitamins, but I didn't have a protein powder. So I just used his. So that's, I got, I got tired of that and I'll just fast forward out of there real quick. I got tired of that. And then I got into the nutrition world. I sold my club after four years from 84. And then I got into the health food store. And that's when I started working at the health food stores. I wanted to learn all about the store, how it works and all the intricate details as well as being around the organic produce. Cause that was the part where I started. I said, I want to be around organic produce and I want to teach people how to eat. So my whole thing was always education. So I'm working at the store and, my, you know, still hair long, still wild and crazy. And I, and I said, well, I just want to educate people. So I was doing seminars. And I said, well, I think I'll write a book. And so then I said, well, I think I'll start a company. So in 88, 1988, I started, you know, J. Rob Enterprises. Uh, and I wrote my first book. It was called Loving Hell. And I was doing seminars in, in support of that. So that was what I wanted to do. And that was what the company was about. Well, within a year, I realized I was telling people to have protein drinks, and I still wasn't happy with the protein powders I was suggesting. I didn't want soy protein because they were very gritty, and I didn't think they were the best at the time for uh, a person to take. And they, they were, you know, they could be estrogen dominant. They, there were all kinds of issues I had with them, but I didn't want to recommend that. So I went, was at the health food stores because I'm still working there, and I said, hey, we only have soy protein. I don't see anything else. My roots are in bodybuilding. We always used milk and egg protein back in the day. So I didn't necessarily want to use a milk and egg protein because I didn't like the quality of the milk at the time. They didn't have whey protein wasn't even invented back then. So I went with egg whites. And that was what we used back in the day was a, a predominant egg white protein if we wanted the purest. So that was my original product. So in 89, I put that together and I and I I got with a contract manufacturer and I said, this is what I want, formulated exactly the way I want it. Stevia didn't exist. It wasn't even legal in the country, so I couldn't even use any of that. So I got it as smooth and as best I could taste and smooth as I could just with flavoring and launched it. And, and by golly, people loved it. It, it. But it wasn't an instant success because people didn't know about it. They didn't know what protein was for. So that was, that was where I came in with, okay, so I got to do something here. I'm bringing this to moms across the country through health food stores, and they don't know what they're buying, and they don't know why they're buying, and they don't even know what it's for, because they would say, well, I don't want to bulk up, or I don't want, I'm not a bodybuilder, you know, I don't want big muscles. That was, that was exactly what they said, and besides that, they're all greedy. Everybody said the same thing, and I just kept hearing it over and over again. So that's where I got into, okay, well, let me do a little taste test, and, and so we would have, I'd do a seminar and then I'd do a taste test or I'd go to the store and just then taste test it out. Because once people tasted it, I knew I had them, but it was a slow process. I mean, it took a long time and I had to, um, I'll, I'll do this as quickly as possible because it's, it's very important to hear this story as, as far as a business perspective. Started that in 88 and by 1993, I was, really not showing I wasn't that profitable I was still managing the health food store and running my company working 16 hours a day and so I was doing that but I didn't have it in enough stores and I didn't have the the distribution I wanted I was the distributor so I wouldn't use the distributor so we didn't we just didn't have the penetration yet and and I said what's holding me back what's holding me back so I said gosh I got to get something going here so I wrote a book 
I wrote another book. The other book was a slightly different book. So I wrote another book and it was called The Fat Burning Diet. And I taught people how to use a protein powder and how to burn fat with food. And I did it in a unique way because I was really big into raw foods and, and so on. And it was a carb cycle program like I used for bodybuilders. But it was it would be fruits and vegetables and so on for the, for the carb loading. And then it would be lower carb during the two days. It was like two days down, one day up type of a cycle and so on. But it worked like a charm for actually for burning fat away. So that's how I set that in motion. I started doing seminars on uh, on how to burn fat with food, and, and it just it was that took off. So then I got on TV, and then I became the fat burning chef on TV, and then all these things happened. And at the same time, though, I uh, had had gotten into subconscious reprogramming, and I'd gotten an audio series that you could listen to. And, and so at night, I just put my headset on and go to bed, and it was a it would lull me to into a, a theta state, brainwave theta state, and then it would say how great I was and how successful I was and, and so on. It was somebody was telling me as if it was my grandmother and I was a little child, I'm down here a little child, my grandma's going, you can't lose, you're a winner. Everything you touch turns to gold. You're the best, you're the smartest, you're the everything. And it's not a boastful, egotistic thing. It's you want your subconscious to know you're unstoppable. So I did this, and, and I tell this with all sincerity to all your viewers and listeners now. It was a huge change for what I was doing. Because I, I, like I said before, I'm going to always give all the glory to God first. But I said, God, you show me what I need to do. And I had some, some negative thinking subconsciously going on in my life, and it kept sabotaging me. I, I thought, why is my business taking well, Why isn't this happening? I was just putting the brake on. Maybe I didn't want to be successful. Maybe I didn't feel I deserved it, whatever it was. Once I got into subconscious reprogramming, that foot came off the brake and the accelerator went forward. The first year I used audio recording and launched my book, our sales doubled. That's unusual. Wow. After five years of business, five years, boom, they doubled. So I said, whoa, this is, this is, this is serious. So I just kept listening to it and I, I made my own. I recorded my own stuff. I'd say exactly one of them. You're the you're an incredible speaker. When you're on TV, words flow out your lips, you know, you know, whatever I wanted to say. And, and you believe it because it's your subconscious that you're actually programmed. It's not an ego trip at all. It's a confidence trip. It's a knowing trip. It's an understanding that, that I can, I'm unstoppable. God has just instilled me with everything I need to bring to the world. And I don't have to fear anything. Fear is gone. So then I got into a pro, uh, uh, an audio recording and it was, you're going to become a millionaire in three years. This was 1996. So business was going good. So I doubled the first year I started using those. The next year I went up 40%, which is still unheard of, 40% jump in business when most people are climbing at about 5% or less. So I jumped 40%. So I got to listen to that recording. The next year I jumped 40 The next year I jumped 40%. So three years later, after I started listening to the audio recording, how to become a millionaire in three years, three years. My CPA calls me up and says, Jay, sit down. I go, what? And he goes, you're officially a millionaire. I go, you're kidding. I, <laughs> I said, and I just, I just thought, wow, that worked. You know, cause I hadn't really wow. listening to it. I, I just faithfully listened to these recordings. And, and it, I said, I can't tell people enough how it changed my life, how it changed my business direction. And I, to this day, I still use those. To this day, I have them in my 21 day life reset program online and so on. Why? Because they work. But at a 40% clip, which is what I stayed, stayed at for four or 20 consecutive years, average 40% growth, which is kind of unheard of. Wow. So we had penetrated 10,000 stores in America. And again, 
I'm not telling you, please don't think I'm boasting here. I'm not telling you this because I'm tooting my horn. I'm telling you this because if you want to be successful at anything, put your heart and soul and passion to it, give your faith and trust to God and go for it without fear. And if you've got fear, figure out how to get rid of it. How do you do that? You can try consciously, but you have to subconsciously remove the fear factor. It has to be removed or it's going to be a thorn in your side that's silent and you'll never know it. You'll never know that that break is on. It's telling you you can't do something when you know you can. And you will believe the, the subconscious over the conscious every single time. 95% of the time, you're subconscious, 5% you're conscious, unless you're Jay Jordan. And then you're going to be probably uh. <laughs> up and chewing 100 times, and then you're conscious. <laughs> be conscious. Use your subconscious only when you need to as a fallback. And that's... That's where we went with that. And now, you know, and then all the stores and then Amazon came out and, and uh, I did seminars all over the country and I just became visible. And I, I, I always wanted to witness. I have a spiritual journey with that. I always wanted to witness and, and give the glory outside of what we were doing and say, you know, hey, this is because God blessed us well. I want to share it with you. And this is, this is how you do it. If you want it, it will happen. I, I, I saw a lot of people that didn't and I knew why. I'm changing that now. I have a 21 day life reset program out that tells kind of the whole story of how to find peace and put the peace and love back in your life. It's a subconscious. It begins off with the subconscious reprogramming on day one called a mind reset. And that mind reset is the foundation for changing your direction in life. It's kind of like doing the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what it's all about. That's so, what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's subconscious is what you do. You can try all these other things. It, it works for your health. It works for your happiness. It works for your, your spiritual life. It works for a marriage. It works for any relationship. It works for friendship. It works for anything that you may have. Uh, you have to think of it this way. When you were zero, zero to six years old, you were programmed and you have no control over that. You, you don't know what you were told from zero to six. You don't remember, but whatever it was, it's still with you because that got programmed because you're a sponge from zero to six. So that's there. If it was good and I bless, God bless my parents. They, they bless me with a lot of good stuff. Some negative stuff that I had to like iron out through this, but for the most part, they gave me a good moral foundation ethics and, and I, I'm ever so ever grateful for that. If they shortchanged me on things like poverty conscious, which I did inherit from him, because we had we very we had very little money, but we were happy, but we just we were poor. There's no doubt about it. So I I believed I was destined to be that way. So I had to change that. If that's in someone they do. But if you're if your parents or guardian or aunt or uncle or grandmother, somebody took you under their wing, and you hear these stories all the time. They, let me take you under the wing. Some kid in, in, you know, in, a, in a terrible neighborhood, and it, you know, it's just gang infested, and, and his grandmother says, you can do anything. They get out of there. Why? Someone programmed them that there's another possibility instead of this is all you get, and, and you're a loser, and this is all you're destined to be and do. And that's why the spiritual part is so important, the meditation, Think clearing the mind, keeping the subconscious clean and reprogramming and pristine. That's the secret to success. And then being willing to roll up your sleeves and go to work. Although I don't call it work. I call I go to play every day. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what shows your passion, your passion for it. I think, yeah, the, the, uh, the thing 
to add to that whole mix is find your passion, right? Like find what it is like you here. You are for two hours, like just riffing. Think of how many times you've riffed on nutrition, right? And here you are just as fresh as, you know, just as fresh as the day one you drift on nutrition as an eight-year-old. And here you are doing it for the probably a hundredth and nineteen thousandth umpteenth time. And use just as much passion, just as much vitality, just as, you know, just, it, 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 and like you see, that's the other part of the mix, right? Like once you've reprogrammed and I think a lot of that comes too, like once you slow down and start meditating and start becoming mindful, start becoming thankful, start having gratitude and humility, the, that stuff starts getting revealed. What's my passion? You might not know it right now. Like I, I speak to a lot of kids. There's a lot of kids in my neighborhood who are 19, 20, 21, or maybe 18 getting ready to go into university. And they're all terrified because they think they're already supposed to know every single thing that they're going to do. And I said, relax. I'm 60 and I'm still thinking, what am I going to, what's my next incarnation going to be? You know, like, like there's no, there's no set time. Like by 21, I'm supposed to be X. Um, and you know, for me, I had a late reveal. I was halfway through university before I discovered television. And it was the same thing as you. Like, it was like, I'll talk about sports and I'll talk about entertainment all day long, you know, or music. Uh, even though I've probably done that 9,000 times, I went from D's and F's in university to Dean's list literally in between semesters, you know, from D's and F's to Dean's list, switching majors to television. I didn't know you could host, you could talk to a camera about sports and entertainment. And actually people would pay you for that. <laughs> you know? that's, why, that's why you're so happy, dude. <laughs> that's why it's, it's just exactly what you said. I've been doing it 35 years and I don't feel like one day of it was work. Not one day of it was work. It, it, like, like, yeah, I feel like like now when we're talking, you've invited me onto your podcast, and I find it, and it's one, it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. Uh, because it's not the not, not only are you a mentor, and you're someone I truly look up to because of, speaking of someone who's very savvy at business and is ethical and has moral values and just a good that's you. So I, I like to be close to people. I like to look up to people. I like to learn from people like you. So. Uh, it's uh, just that what a powerful relationship you and I have, because I feel like it's 100 percent the other way. So uh, yeah, that's just, that's a blessing when you meet meet a brother like that, you know, like who's just uh, inspire you inspire me and you motivate me and you educate me. Uh, so I, I can't I can't send it back your way strongly enough. Like uh, Patrick Swayze said to Demi Moore, the ditto. So <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> so well, tell the people <laughs> tell the people at home as much as you're comfortable with it um what the end look like the end business thing looked uh you put all the pieces together you found your passion you um kept your humility you kept you you're always the student um you're always grateful you pass on praise you just prove right there you you understand praise um and uh, rolled up your sleeves and got rid of your subconscious negative self-talk. How did that end for you on the business side manifest? I know you live on the water. 
And I know um, <laughs> <laughs> because I've been to your house. <laughs> We've hung. And uh, I know how well you've done, but just to inspire the 20 year olds who might see this um, and is starting to get excited about implementing some of the cool things you shared with us today. Uh, the, the key is to find what you're passionate about so that you're not working. Uh, number one, number two is find something to do that helps people because that's where I see, I talk to a lot of people and they, they, they get a job or they, they think I want to start a business or whatever. And I go, the first thing I ask is, okay, how will that help someone and who will it help and how well will it help them? And will there be any, any downside? Will anybody get hurt in the process? You know, you, you don't, you know, you might say, hey, I can open up a very successful fast food chain. Um, is there going to be a downside to that besides you becoming wealthy? So I look at the karmic retributions. Is there going to be a karmic debt that is uh, to be paid? Or is the karmic debt going to be something that uh, keeps you healthy and happy for eternity? So you have to look at, at that. So once you figure out what you like and what you want to do and you're passionate about it and you don't think about money, then figure out a way to, to get paid to do what you love, just like you figured out. I didn't know you could look into a camera and talk about something I love to talk about, like sports, into a camera and people are going to pay me for that. You're kidding. And so now you're doing what you love. People like it. But, but you have to step back from that and say, why did that work? Because what happens in the process, you're doing something for people and you don't see that on the surface, but what you're doing is you're entertaining people. Entertainers are paid very, very well. Why? Because entertaining does something very special for people. It keeps them smiling, happy, engaged, and distracted from something that may be bothering them. So it gives them a relief. It gives them a place. It gives them an enjoyment. And if you're, if you're humorous on it or you're good and talented like you, then it's enjoyable to watch. So what you're doing is helping people have that little respite, that little space, that little place that they can be focused on something. And, and, and it, since it's sports, it's engaging and it's, it's kind of fun and exciting. So you're giving them something to keep them concentrated and focused instead of their mind wandering around and making up all kinds of imaginary drama and fears and, and catastrophes never happen. So instead of their mind going there, they're focused on you and you're giving them, no, somebody's a winner. And they did it. So you're giving them happiness, so to speak, not true happiness, but you're giving them a temporarily temporary space to go. That's why entertainers are paid so well, because you have to be good at that and you have to love what you do. You can, not anybody can do that. So that's uh, my, my head man goes off to you again, because you're very talented at that. So that's very important to know that what you're doing for people. If people come to me and they say, hey, I have a product and did it. I said, why are you doing that? Why do you want to produce this? I've had people come to me and say, hey, I want to, I want to make a protein powder. You know how many people told me that. I want to do protein powder. I want to be like you. I go, oh, thanks. So now <laughs> I'll take a moment, but now we're going to be, you know, <laughs> arch enemies. You're going to be the competition. <laughs> so let, me, let me hear it. You have all my secrets. <laughs> yeah, right, right. right. Take my secrets and I'm going to retire. <laughs> so they don't think about that. So I say, so why do you want the powder? And if they say, well, it looks like it makes money or you live in a nice house or, you know, you did well, you're on the water, you're in, you're in South Florida, you're in, in Palm Beach or whatever, you know, I want to be like that. It, then it's all for the wrong Not reason. Not the right reason. Not the right no, reason. No, if you write a book, why do you want to write a book? If, is it for to help someone to make their life better? 
to do this. I wrote my 21 day life reset program. I spent 10 years on it now. It's going to release this week, 10 years. But I put my heart and soul into it because it's a 21 day program that tells people or gives them an exercise every day for 21 straight days from diet to mindset to everything else, relationship reset, business reset, everything, how to change their life. And so I'm passionate about it because I know the mind is where I want to go with people now. So that's why I say when you're starting a business, you're doing something, how's it going to help them? Is it, are you going to be able to positively influence them and lift them up somehow in this process? Or are you going to sell them a pet rock and hope you make it, make a lot of money? It's a, a huge difference. And is it going to be hard on the, on the country? Is it going to be hard on the environment? Is, it going to be any, is there any downside? And you have to weigh it out heavily. So what you're doing has to be something that lifts everyone up and it's helped. That's why eco-friendly businesses are I'm really a fan of now, doing whatever you can. You know, we, I was the first guy to go out there to put, you know, to insist that the cows couldn't be injected with, you know, synthetic growth hormones and so on. And it spills into the chickens and, you know, it just, all these things I tried to push for. Uh, so those are the ethical things you want. And then you have to decide when you make it big, what are you going to do with the money? Because you will make it big if you're passionate about what it is. What will you do with your money? Is it going to be invested? You, you, it's funny you mentioned now, you've been to that and stuff and yeah we have a beautiful home on the water and we're, it took us three years to renovate i mean it's a complete makeover renovation it's almost done you know, where do you see it when you come over next time oh yeah but it's i mean it looks like i live on a flipping resort dude and that's what i have to come home to but the yeah. point i'm going to make with this is i i purchased the land this is a really quick true story i looked at it and I, I walked on the property and it was beautiful. And there was a 250 year old K-pop tree in the back, a rainforest tree, coconut palms everywhere. It's just beautiful. But when I walked in the back, I got in the tiki hut and then stepped on the ground, on the earth, the actual earth. And the energy came up my legs. Ooh. And I said, Santa, which means holy land. That's what I thought when I stepped down. I said, this mm. land is special. I don't know why, but there's something special here. And I told the owner and we became friends. So we made an offer on the home. And then, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, he says, well, we got other bigger, we got some two other offers and they were more than yours or whatever. And so I let it go. Two, like three months later, the dude calls me up and said, hey, you know, I talked to my wife, we said a prayer and we decided that we want to sell it to you and your wife. And I said, really, why? He says, well, you love the property. You aren't going to go bulldozing down the house and just wreck everything. You love the property. You love it. You, you get it. You know it's holy. You know everything about it. And even though you're not the highest bidder, we want you to have it. Wow. <laughs> so we were able to purchase the property. And, and for three years, we've been renovating. We're just at the very end. And it's now a resort. It was it was good when we bought it. And, and, and now it's, I mean, it looks a thatch roof house. I mean, when you, you haven't seen the new roof on it. Anyway, we got tiki huts everywhere. And you think you're in French Polynesia or, or Bali or something now. Wow. Anyway, that's why. But the, the bigger point I'm making of this, I created all that because I want to film in my backyard. I want to teach. I want this to be my, my studio. I was going to put a, a build an indoor studio. I said, no, I want an outdoor studio. So we built a tiki hut out, a tiki bar where I can show recipe shakes teach people all about things. I can, uh, I can do my seminars out of there in the backyard where I can go at any multiple spots and film every day for TikTok, for Instagram, 
because I want to share, just like I'm now, this is an honor, again, to do this with you. I get energy from sharing what God's blessed me with in wisdom. And I will call it wisdom since it's not something that I've learned in a book. Wisdom that I can share back or give back to someone to stop, to help them in their own suffering, whether it's a spiritual issue or uh, a, a, a mental issue that's, that they've got a roadblock subconsciously or something, or a dietary issue, all of the above. It gives me, when I get an opportunity to give back, to share, to bring the love back to the table, I have so much energy, I could never stop. Because when you're, when you're pouring things out in love, love is really what's, what this is all about. I love people. I love people. That's why I went back to my hippie roots. I love people. I love talking to them. I like it when someone will be kind enough just to share a challenge they have. And if there's anything I can do to, to point them in the right direction, I don't, I don't go around healing people. And I point, point them in the right direction. You go, you try this or try that, or let's do this. Or have you meditated before? Or try a prayer, or all these things. It's an honor to be able to do that. So I now have a working platform in my backyard and the house and everywhere to do this. And that's why it's important to that because I did not want a property that I go hibernate on or retire on. I want people to be able to come there and, and good friends like you too, to come there. Anybody can come there and enjoy and enjoy the property and learn and just be happy or just to hang loose. We bought a boat. I just, I bought, you had to come around. I bought a 39 foot boat, not because I needed a boat, but because I want to wrap it with guruapeace.com, my new website. Ah, we're right on the water. So people are going by all the time. And so I wanted as a marketing tool to bring more people into the arena to join my peace movement. That's its purpose. So I don't, I, I can live in a tent. That's where I come from in Southern California, tents and, and VW buses. <laughs> <laughs> but I can live in a house in a cool yard. <laughs> yeah. As long as I have a lot of uh, good people and friends around and, and uh, people like you, dude. Wow, brother. I feel the same way. Uh, J Rob, I just, I can't, and I can't give you uh, enough, uh, love. I can't give you enough, uh, uh, explanation of how much you rock my world. And I uh, just, every time I talk to you, I'm infused with your energy, with your enthusiasm, your excitement for life, uh, and your passion, man. Like, you know, I think that's, that's one of the big things when someone's passionate about something, it really is contagious, you know, like uh, when you when you meet someone who uh, oh, I'll give you a perfect example. This guy uh, reached out to me uh, about two months ago. He had a thick, thick Irish accent and uh, it could have been it could have been a northern English accent. Very thick. I think it's Irish. Anyway, he says, you don't know me, Jay. You don't know me, but but I know you I'm like, oh, OK, and he said, uh, <laughs> He goes, I was the financier for the Belfast fights you used to do. I said, oh, OK. So anyway, he wanted to let me know um, that his life had taken a big turn. And uh, I guess apparently he had uh, alcohol issues and uh, had been in pretty rough shape. And I guess he was letting everybody know who had known him earlier um, that he had turned his life around. Anyway. The guy owns over a thousand properties now and uh, he renovates, he buys and renovates and they're called dream luxury apartments throughout England and Ireland. And uh, he's, he's like you, like you talk to him and he's got so much, he's like so lit up, you know, you're talking about you know, like the mitochondria not being dim, you know, that energy center. 
he's that's how he is. He's just lit up. He he'll send me notes, texts, and I'll get them at like 10 p.m. and I'll do the math and they're live. I'll do the math. I'll say, oh my gosh, this is 2 a.m. where he is or 3 a.m. And I'll send him a text back saying, you haven't gone to bed yet? He says, no, 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 I'm getting up. He's getting up to start his day at 3 a.m. Because I like to meditate for an hour, then work out for an hour, and then I start my day at 5. And, uh, you know, he's no spring chicken, you know. He's, he's, you know, and yet he's just, he's lit up, you know. And I think one of the other things that, that came to me when you were talking about erasing the subconscious negative uh, programming and finding what you're lit up about. You're talking about something. It has to be congruent with nature. Uh, it has to be something that helps save the planet. Uh, when you're lining up with those types of truths for your, for you, and they're kind of no brainers, like, like your company nourishes people. It's kind of like a no brainer. Like you can feel we're good about that. Like what I do nourishes people, whether it's physical nourishment, mental nourishment, spiritual nourishment, you can feel pretty good about nourishing people. So once you're erasing that subconscious and you're looking at what your forward is, you said you put your foot on the gas pedal. When you take that foot, it's e it's easier to take that foot off the, the brake. And then it's easier to put your foot on the gas pedal when it's something that is like, Oh, I want it. This is like what I want to do anyway. Like, and I don't have to have the brakes on. No, we're telling you, you don't have to have the brakes on. And you've always wanted to put your foot on the gas anyway, because it's something you wanted yeah. to do anyway. So it's a double, it's a double plus. You're taking your foot off the brake by erasing the yeah. subconscious negative self chatter. And you're and and you're given permission to put the foot on the gas, which is what you've wanted to do your whole life anyway. Yeah. And before you were actually kind of like uh a ship without a rudder you weren't you didn't have your foot on the brake or the gas you're like free falling because you, you you're not involved you're not you're not diving head first and in, into your passion you're not diving into your dream you're you're afraid to dream so you sometimes you have to remove the fear because fear is what stops people from following their passion they, they'll they'll come up with 10 different excuses to not to do something when none of them are valid because none of them are real. They just imagine them. None of them even ever, ever even happen. They have no idea. They can't, they're not real. If, if they'd happen, they said, yeah, I tried this. And for 10 years, I tried it and I failed. And I said, well, your subconscious is messed up. But if, if they did that, different. But people won't even try things simply because they're afraid because they're going to be ridiculed or somebody's going to make fun of me. And I'm not, you know, I don't want, I don't want people to think I'm this or that. And I go, get over yourself. The first thing you have to do is lose yourself. Don't, don't think about losing weight or losing, lose yourself, get out of the way. Once you go, you can do anything. But if you're focused on you, if you're, you're over here taking selfies, another selfie today, you know, not that selfies are bad. It's just that how we use them, how we get caught up in them, how we, how it reminds us of our little self and not the big picture. Take pictures of other people more often instead of yourself. That's usually a better, better way to do it. And and, and put things forward and, and they always come back. It's like the boomerang effect, but you know, it's a karmic thing. It's just, it's so, it's so simple when a person understands it's their own mind that's creating the problem. And, and I know this, this sounds different than a lot of people believe. And I used to believe differently too, is that if you um, are consciously 
uh, caught up in yourself to the point where you can't move forward, you're always going to be stumbling. You, you cannot move forward until you lose you because you are the problem. You are the one, because, and I know that sounds like it's a, it's kind of a dual message because, well, I want to, I want to be this, or I want to be that, or yeah, you can set goals and stuff like that. But one of your goals has to be selfless because being selfless means you're no longer thinking of you first. It's not that you forget about you completely. It's just that you're no longer putting yourself ahead of anyone or anything. You're now on an even playing field. And that's very, very important for um, long-term success and longevity in, in every arena of life. There was so much more I wanted to get to. I want to be very uh, sensitive and, and respectful of your time. Um, I wanted to talk about your books. We'll have to do this again. He's got so many books out. We didn't even get to the peace movement. Uh, where, if they want to find out about your blogs, your books, obviously all of your nutrition um, and in, in the difference you're making in the world, where would the best place for them to go to, to, uh, to see this aggregation? Uh, jrob.com, that's J-A-Y-R-O-B-B.com is uh, my longstanding website. It will point them to my protein and everything about protein, as well as it will also point to my other website if you want to uh, go across the membrane and get to the other side over there. <laughs> It'll take you to the guruofpeace.com. That's guruofpeace.com. And I'm the guru of peace, so I'm the GOP. That's my stage name for my music. So either jrob.com, two Bs, or guruofpeace.com. And then my music is, uh, you can just search any, you know, it's, it's all on iTunes or any streaming platform. Just search the GOP, G period, O period, P period. And that stands for guru of peace. The guru of peace, or the GOP with periods. And it will take you to my music and my album hanglets. All those, all the songs on there are, are about peace and love, but they're all old school rock. So you're just going to hear them jam. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, my brother, for all of your help and all of your advice and all of your love over the years um, made a huge impact on me. Um, and I, I just really want to acknowledge that. Thank you. Well, you know, you've had a huge impact on me. And again, it's an honor to be on your show. Anytime I can get to share what I have to share it's what makes my day. I don't, I, I don't want to spend 10 years researching something and then I'll share it with someone. I want everybody to know about this. And I'm now at the point of, uh, I've take, I took 10 years off to gather more information and correct new life. Now I'm going to launch it out. And, and uh, this is one of the, the first podcasts I've done. I've done uh, only a couple more, but I'm going out. I'm going out to the world again now with the peace movement and with my new website and clothing line and everything. Just, you know, I decided uh, that what I want to do from here forward is teach people all about peace and love and how mm. to back in their life. And mm. that's why I put the sunglasses on and I and made the emblem. It's time. <laughs> and then and then I teach people uh, in an uptight world, brother. It's uh, <laughs> oh, awesome. Because that's where it's all at. That is so awesome. You they broke the mold when they made you, man. You are so <laughs> You are so you too, beautiful. You get your, yeah. you, you, you're just a beautiful man. Yeah. Well, you are too. We're going to have to get together again. We're, we'll uh, rock the dock down there. We'll get on the boat. We'll uh, rock the gas ball, put the tunes on. 
and have some fun. Next time I'm down there, man, you know I'm looking you up, brother. <laughs> at, the, at the GOP resort. Yeah, baby. Talk soon, my brother. I love you. When you're ready to chill, get your wang bang. in you united fight alliance for the fighter in you listen to us on apple podcasts google podcasts podbean spotify and amazon music watch us on nbc sports network cw and abc and the united fight alliance youtube channel united fight alliance for the fighter in you Three or go walk your pillow when you're ready to chill.